Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Listen to this. This is the tape I found downstairs. It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar with a group of my colleagues. Now my wife and I have retreated to a small cabin in the solitude of these mountains. I believe I have made a significant find in the Kandarian ruins, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled Naturan de Manto, roughly translated, Book of the Dead. From the gnarled woods of Michigan to the sun-kissed skyline of L.A., we are Halloweenies! You said, I hope you understand when you read this letter that you're better off without me. Come surround me in stormy weather. Stormy weather. It always surrounds me. Greetings and welcome. Yet again to Halloweenies, a horror franchise podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Justin Fake Shemp Gerber. And so far this year, we've been to Chicago and Fake Chicago for Child's Play 1 and 2, respectively. We went to Fake New York for the second time, (laughs) but the first time for Jason Takes Manhattan, but the first time for Scream for Scream 6. Hope you got all that this (laughs) month. And for this episode, we are going to Fake Los Angeles for the first time with Evil Dead Rise. And don't come at me with... Uh, what about Scream 3? That was filmed in and around real Los Angeles, okay? That was not fake Los Angeles. So anyway, this is an episode that has long been in the making, as in we were all quite confident it would come out last year. But before we head up the dodgy elevator to the spectacular screwhead activity above, we've convened here in this dingy apartment lobby to discuss our experience watching this long-awaited entry into the Evil Dead experience. So, sitting on a lobby couch ahead of me, he just finished watching Adam Driver's 65. Who is this? Oh, hey, this is Michael Hole in the Ground Rothman. Just making sure I got that title right, because I keep saying Hole in the Floor, which I think is a... That's a... John Irving novel, I think. Door, oh, that's Door in the Floor. A door in the Floor, which was adapted but, into a Jeff yeah. Bridges And film. I thought it was yeah. called In the Bedroom. And that's I used to get those movies all mixed up too. But uh, yeah, here, fresh off of '65, but also fresh off of uh, Cronin's Hole in the Ground uh, in preparation for this episode. It's a nice early morning, and I've got actually to, to fit with the recording of this. I'm going to make the crinkling to make the sound effect. I made my own Halloween style M and M's goodie bag at a Candiality here on uh, Southport in Chicago last night, and uh, you know, I just thought I'd you know be a little bit on theme because it's technically halfway to Halloween month. I don't know if anyone celebrates it post pandemic, but very excited to be here talking Evil Dead Rise coming soon to theaters and with my bag of Halloween candy. So, so Mike, when you're when you're going to Candiality, which I, I've been to Candiality in years. Uh, do you have to literally go there and just like make sure you, you select the exact right 
color or is it already like color specific when you're going? Oh, no, they, they have this amazing M&M machine because, as you know, M&Ms are my favorite candy. And mm. so they have this huge giant machine where they have all the different colors. So if you want to make like a, let's say t- this, this weekend is technically Easter. So if you want to make your own Easter bag, you can do that because you have all the different colors. If you want to make your own Passover bag, you can do that. If you want to make your own, I don't know, Columbus Day bag, which I don't know if people are doing anymore. It's a little, little problematic. Oh, my, my, um, <laughs> my favorite yeah. holidays. You know, you could, maybe you could match the colors from 1492, Ridley Scott's poster, and you can mm. make your own little Columbus Day bag. But yeah, yeah who's they throwing the 1492 party? <laughs> yeah. They're like, that's my favorite Scott picture. Specific to the film, yeah. yeah. Hey, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And that's, that's about true. all they got right with that history. Yeah. Speaking of history, <laughs> we heard him a little bit earlier. He's going to be talking a little bit about the history of this movie. And he is, let me give you a hint, my brother. Who is this? <laughs> this is Wolfman Macronomicon, book two or three. I don't know. We'll discuss it in this uh, in this episode. Excited to be here talking about Evil Dead Rise. Um, still one of my favorite franchises, no matter what they decide to do. Very oh. diplomatic of you. I like this so far because we've not <laughs> tipped our, head, our hand uh, to uh, discuss what we feel about, how we feel about this movie. Mac, your thoughts on the explorer Christopher Columbus. Well, you know, I feel like he spent too much time in his exploration before the dinosaurs came into the picture. Ah, interesting history. Like all it needed to be (laughs) was a dinosaur origin story. That's true. You know what I mean? Yeah. With Christopher Columbus, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. All right. You know him, you love him. He is, what's the, he'll remind us of that nickname, (laughs) <laughs> in a second, he's definitely coming from, at best, the southern part of Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> Who is this? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that because then the people won't give me shit when I tell them I didn't vote. <laughs> <laughs> this is Mike. What an asinine prologue and epilogue, Vanderbilt. <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, and you were, of course, talking about. Um, Schenectady, New York by Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> indeed, right. indeed. Okay, uh, we just... want to make that clear. <laughs> and of course, I would. I don't want to leave you out in this one. Uh, Christopher Columbus, what's the story? I tell you what, one of my most popular memes I ever made, I did two when the Columbus Day statue thing was happening two summers ago or so, uh, and I suggested that we either replace it with a statue of a giant Italian beef, because that would keep you know the Italians at bay, and I think it's also very Chicago. Mm. Or, or perhaps Eagle Man, who if you guys you guys probably aren't familiar. I don't know if you're familiar with Eagle Man as uh, new Chicagoans. No, and no. me as someone who does not live in the city of Chicago, but Eagle <laughs> Man was one of those classic local commercials for an insurance yeah. company, and That's a good one. Uh, he's an icon and. Uh, Think he might be uh, he, he well if they don't replace the Columbus statue with him he should definitely be put be put somewhere. That's the door like, that falls off, right? And then the mo- no, the- that's Victory Auto Records. Okay, and that's, okay. Uh, what's his name? Dean Richards doing the voiceover. Oh, on the that, from nineteen eighty two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, Eagle Man. <laughs> look up, just look up the Eagle Man commercial. I can't describe it. Words can't describe the Eagle Man commercial. Just for our listeners outside of the Chicago area, like myself, it is on. <laughs> it is on YouTube. You know, so if you scramble the channel, if you scramble the antenna just enough, you're able to get it the south side, the south of Chicago, right? Yeah, yes. steal that Chicago TV time down here in Manuka. 
You could simplify it, though, and just have an actual statue of director Chris Columbus, who popularized Chicago for many generations with Home mm. Alone. You know, just have him, like, kind of sitting there with the script for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, just, like, standing there, just, like... Yeah, like, you know, you know <laughs> trade, uh, trade one problematic uh, I know, for yeah, another. exactly. <laughs> I love yeah. going to Millennium Park and, and seeing concerts, and I always look up to the left, and I remember the... I can see the building where the climax of Adventures in Babysitting takes place, and I always oh. think about that that movie. That's Chris Columbus? Is that Chris Columbus? Yeah, Chris Columbus. Yeah, then make this statue Chris Columbus. He doesn't have to hold a script for Harry Potter 1. He could do one for like, you know, maybe he holds a script for Gremlins, right? He, you he can wrote keep the that. same etching, just like scratch out Topher and you're good to go. Yeah, we've we <laughs> cool. established who it is. Chris Columbus, that's what his name is. Because I don't think it is Christopher, right? Well, I know a lot of you at home were just waiting for us to, to chime in on Christopher Columbus, but we do implore you. You guys are so smart. Around. I know. I uh, we've because we've got to talk about another movie. And what can I tell you? But all right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. It's a twelve gauge double barreled Remington, S Mart's top of the line. You can find this in the sporting goods department. Not a lot of news this week, at least for the uh, Halloweenies here re- regarding the film franchises. I think. There'll be some Indiana Jones news on the uh, Fortune and Glory feed, so be sure to go to patreon.com backslash Halloweenies pod for all the indie updates and coverage of that franchise. But I did have some gerbalytics I'd like to share with everybody here, because as we know, uh, Scream 6 crossed the $100 million threshold at the domestic box office, and that's the first time that that's happened since Scream, I think Scream 2 was the Mm -hmm. last time it crossed $100 million. But of course... For all the younger people out there, there's a thing called inflation. We really need to get into the numbers here, what all this really means. So yes, uh, Scream 6 is going to pass the original Scream for domestic box office. Uh, probably in the next week or two, Scream made $103 million domestic, 173 worldwide. But when you figure in inflation, you know, because the dollar has changed over the last 27 years now, I guess, 26 and a half years. So if you really look at the numbers, in today's dollar, the original Scream made $195 million, 328 with inflation. Scream 2 made $188 million, 321 worldwide. Scream 3, $157 million, 287 worldwide. And then Scream 6 comes in with 98 million 147 worldwide which obviously in today's market is still a success don't get me wrong it's a success but in terms of the zeitgeist for the younger people out there even though scream 3 was not appreciated even at the time it's just not as popular as those first three movies were it's hard to convey unless yeah. you, were, you had to be there any, any takes on that people you guys agree with me on well, that i mean yeah i wonder i wonder is there like a demerit that you have to like take a certain percentage away from those original films because the market is so different now for films. Well, that's, you have to look at it that way. Sure. You know, like maybe it is on par with Scream 3 or something. You know what I mean? Because if you, if you said, okay, well, if the amount of people that were seeing movies today were seeing movies back then, which is a lot less, right, in the theaters, mm-hmm. then maybe this does kind of level out somewhere around three, I would think. But Yeah, but the bottom line uh, is more no people clue. We pay have, tickets to go see no the movie clue. in theaters. And it's not even yeah. a home video yet, yeah. so home video. True. Here we go. I'm really ditting myself. No, it's but still this movie that. has still done infinitely better 
than even Scream 4, even with inflation, it still made twice what that movie made at the box office and has already eclipsed it worldwide. And even with Scream 5, it's eclipsed that domestically and will shortly eclipse it worldwide. So the trajectory for this franchise, when you really look at it, it's kind of like a, a V, which ironically enough was not used for the fifth Scream movie, for Roman numerals. Yeah. So I'm curious to see what happens with Scream 7, which somehow has still not been announced. I'm not sure what's holding that up. Any ideas of any of you two or three in the horror community that would know anything about that, Rothman? Uh, I think they might be busy at the moment. Um, yeah. I think the filmmakers might be busy. I think they're probably trying to figure out what that's going to look like in terms of you know contractual obligations. Mm-hmm. I mean, I should think who's going to be in of, it? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think you know with the exceptionally you know especially with like Jenna Ortega and how her star has risen. Um, I wonder if they have to kind of go back to the table and see you know what they're going to do with how much it's going to cost, yada, yada, yada. Also, if this is seven, I assume, you know, this is closing this new trilogy. There's probably a lot of thought involved in that, which is good. I mean, I'm kind of glad that they're not rushing this one out in a way mm-hmm. because, you know, I think one of the issues with Scream 3 is that had they, you know, spent a little bit more time, which granted they had the longest time out of the original trilogy to come up with that entry. I think if they just had a little bit more patience in that one we could have or even a little bit more longevity if like that movie came out you know even longer after it originally did i don't know i just think the anticipation would be a little higher there there might be a little bit more thought into just kind of all the the threads that were going in there the tones might actually be equalized Mm. maybe you got nev involved a little bit more so you know if they're going to take their time for this one Cool. I mean, we got two screen movies in a fucking one calendar year. That's pretty awesome yeah, to me. Pretty much. I will say it did eclipse the original. So uh, this past weekend, it, it's like one fifty six. It's at one hundred fifty six million worldwide, and Scream twenty twenty two, not to be confused with Five Cream, that is at one hundred thirty eight million now. Oh, so, so officially passed it this weekend. There you go. Finally, which is you know rare. These you mean days. Scream as in the original? You mean the Scream twenty twenty two? Five yeah, cream. First, five cream. Yeah, the, yeah. the second original, not the first original. Yeah, please, yeah, the second Scream, not the first Scream. I mean, yeah. but you know what I mean by that as well. Mac, the new, the new originals. Well, I was just going to talk about something along the lines of the when Mike was saying that this would potentially be like the the closing out of this trilogy, hmm. but I kind of feel like, and I don't know if you guys agree, but like these days, is the trilogy gone? Because well, we talk a lot about films, that in, in Scream 6. Yeah, because films just come out like every year now. So it's like, if it's, if, if part three is any, it does as well as the of the first two, why would they not just do another movie? So why even pretend that this is a trilogy? Why not just say it's going to be like five movies? And like, why wouldn't people well, be okay with that? You know, I, I don't understand that anymore. They even address... In Scream 6, that is a franchise now. It's no longer right, you know, a trilogy right. or a series or whatever, whatever the, other, the other comps were. So I don't know. And the other thing about Radio Silence is it's also very possible that now they've got some juice with the studio and maybe they can, maybe they want to do something else before they do another Scream movie. You know, it's very possible too. Go right? for it. I mean, yeah. honestly, like that, that's what I would, I'd be more interested in that right now just because I think we could take a break. I mean, because, you know, if we do these year after year, for me, it's not like Friday the 13th, where Jason can pop out, and it could be a new set of campers, with the exception of Tommy Jarvis popping here once in a, once in a while. But even with Tommy Jarvis, there's like years between his, his chapters, right? It's not like happening every year. Mm. For it to happen like every year, the same crew of people, like, I just think that 
like what you're saying with Mac, with the franchising, it's like at some point it gets really stale narratively, you know, like, oh, well, only a calendar year has passed. What do we, you know, what do we learn? <laughs> like, no, nothing. It's just been literally a new setting at this point. And given that they're clearly paralleling a lot of the themes and sort of outcomes with what's happened in the original trilogy, I do think that while it is a franchise, there there is some sort of quasi spiritual trilogy in motion right now, just oh, in the yeah, way that totally. they've you know them, they've been turning this out, and perhaps the fourth one is going to be you know the cast or the fourth one of this one would be like the cast of you know parts of the cast, the survivors of the core four here with this new cast of characters that you know will then be another transitional thing. I don't know, but I do think some time would be good. But you know, as Tom Petty says, waiting is the hardest part. We always want a new scream, so. I don't know. I think we're. I think we got enough franchises out there right now that I. If we didn't get this next year, then twenty twenty five is fine. I, I think that would be cool. You also mm. got to build that anticipation again, right? Yeah. Mm, yeah. We we always talk about this. Like there needs to be a little bit more time in between. People are. I know people's attention spans are short, but these were these were popular movies and 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 for the most part pretty entertaining. People are going to remember it in two years rather yeah. than one year. You know what I mean? They're, and if anything, they'll be really excited about it. Like, let them kind of forget. And then those who didn't like it, let them kind of forget why they didn't like it. <laughs> and then let them That's come true. back to the franchise with a fresh perspective, you know? Yeah, and later I mean, on this year, speaking of franchises, we do have socks coming out, which is why we're calling Saw 10. Oh, that's right. Year. Oh, <laughs> that's a, that's a pretty cool. I like that. I like that. Oh, let's let's not forget we're getting the absolutely necessary uh, direct um, eponymous sequel uh, to The Exorcist, William Friedkin's you know classic film. So I'm I'm you know we got enough on our hands right now for us to keep yeah. busy. Yeah, I'll tell you what, like Halloween ends, which has quickly become my favorite Halloween sequel. Maybe day, maybe we're gonna get <laughs> maybe this Exorcist thing will be fine. I oh, don't sure. know. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm gonna, not being funny. I'm not being no facetious. Yeah, I know, I know I'm, you're not. I'm being I am optimistic and... <laughs> too. We'll see. Yeah. We will see, won't we? Soon enough. Yeah, maybe Pazuzu is hanging out in the a, a sewer. A new trilogy of new Exorcist movies, hey, apparently. Look, I don't like Exorcist 3 like everybody else does, so it can't be much worse than that. Well, we will see. We'll all get together and watch it, I'm sure, later this year. That's it on the news front. That's not all for history. Let's... Uh, Take a little trek over to Professor Noby's study. The book served as a passageway to the evil worlds beyond. It was written long ago when the seas ran red with blood. It was this blood that was used to ink the book. This will basically be a nice little recap from everything we talked about in 2022, right? Yeah. It was last year? Last year. Time means nothing to me anymore. I don't know what happens when, when happens what. Anyway, back in May of 2021, which was, again, less than two years ago, but in some ways feels like 20 years ago, we received word on a new Evil Dead movie entering production titled Evil Dead Rise, which they stuck with, to their credit. It wasn't called, like, you know, Rise, an Evil Dead story, or Rise... And Evil Dead 13th story, because I think they were on the 13th floor in this film, maybe the 14th. However, we did learn that Sam Raimi would not be directing the film, and Bruce Campbell would not be starring in it. But both were heavily involved as producers, alongside longtime co-producer, and definitely not troublemaker, Robert Tappert. 
A press release stated that, quote, filmmaker Lee Cronin, director of The Hole in the Ground, was handpicked by Ramey and Campbell to write and direct the movie. Ramey said, quote, I'm thrilled to bring Evil Dead back to its original home at New Line 40 years after the release of the first film. The company's history as pioneers of horror speaks for itself. I'm equally excited to be working with Lee Cronin, whose gifts as a storyteller make him the ideal filmmaker to continue the enduring legacy of the franchise. So I'll stop right here. End quote, by the way. So I think the only, of all of us here, Mike Rothman and I are the only ones that have seen The Hole in the Ground. Is that right? Okay, so I'll make sure. So, Mike, you talked a little bit off mic about your feelings about The Hole in the Ground, but uh, what, what from this movie do you think that, you know, Ramey Campbell and Tappert saw and said, this is the guy, this is the person, for that matter, to take on the reins of a new Evil Dead movie? Well, you know, he, uh, he well, he's actually, you know, he's an Irish film, uh, fil- you know, filmmaker. I think, shishar, maybe shishar, some, shishar. I think there's maybe some idea that, like, they wanted a different eye. Or maybe some sort of, you know, different perspective than what we've gotten out of this. I think watching, you know, Hole in the Ground, especially this morning, and especially after seeing Evil Dead Rise, I think there is something about motherhood that certainly speaks to Lee Cronin. And Mm. perhaps that's an angle that they didn't think that they had touched, which technically they really haven't. When you look at back at the franchise, even, even... throughout the three seasons of evil dead that doesn't really come up if anything like fatherhood does like the mothers are fairly on the peripheral even with ash so it's like maybe that was their new curveball into this but i also think though you know the idea of something some presence out there some lingering presence some thing that you you know is out there that you know is haunting you that is now into your own radar into your own family is very present in hole in the ground and, you know, the idea of something even coming from the cellar, something coming from within the walls, something coming from the woods, I, that's literally the movie. So I'm sure, you know, that definitely uh, called to them, uh, not, not too different from the crystal, let's call, uh, if, you, if you catch my drift. But uh, mm. I, so I, I just, maybe that's what got it. And I, and I know that they worked also together on 50 States of Fright. So, which was like the, you know, everyone remembers Quibi, right? <laughs> which was great, great yeah, service. That, that great service. Yeah. Well, you know, Sam Raimi had, had, had been doing, that was like, you know, one of his pet projects. And I think working with him, he was like, oh, that maybe that's something that caught his eye. It's just like, there is some sort of style that, I don't know. It's weird because like, even watching Hole in the Ground, like I don't really see a lot of the, the trademark works that come from the filmmaking style that you get in Evil Dead. Like mm-hmm. it's actually... I I don't Not mean this camera thing. style. No, it's kind of it's mm. actually a little lethargic at times. Like it's very like stoic. It's very if anything, I feel like he's more indebted to Kubrick than he is to someone like Raimi, especially even down to his sound design. So it is a curious pick, and I have thought about it, but I I don't. I think a lot of it has to do with just the the curveball that he was able to throw with your you know however much we want to call it a curveball of motherhood because I just think that was maybe like a point of view that they thought could be an interesting angle into this entry. Cause you know, that's what you should be looking for when you're making, what is it? The, the fifth movie? fifth movie and, and like God knows how many stories and episodes afterwards of this. So yeah, I mean, it's the fifth movie, but probably like the 21st or 22nd hour worth of evil yeah, Dead footage we've got this exactly. point, which I'll be talking about no doubt later on. Something else I think is that the, the fact that the antagonist and, on the ground or the would-be antagonist is another instance of you look exactly like the person I love 
but you're not mm-hmm. the person I love. It's yeah. done in a different way, obviously, than Evil Dead Rises. So I wonder if that might have played a part too, Mike. Yeah. And the familiar relations of that. How did you feel overall, though, about the movie, The Hole in the Ground? That was a snore. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I did. That was a snore. I, and, I, and I had been warned ahead of time because uh, a few years ago, I think it was like a 2019 or 20, like one of the times I went to go visit my family. And I had fallen asleep with my brother on the couch and uh, my sister-in-law and Sammy, my girlfriend, they watched this movie on Netflix late at night. And um, I remember the like, next morning, you know, they're like, oh, Kayla and I watched a horror movie. And I was like, oh, what was it called? And she's like, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Like, sounds good. yeah, that sounds, that sounds pretty right. You know, that sounds pretty apt. And then eventually when I said, oh, you know, years later, and I was like, oh, that's, you know, Lee Cronin, he's the director of, you know, that Hole in the Ground movie. We should watch it. And she was like, oh, my God, I have seen this movie. This is the movie I was telling you, you know, I, I kind of told you about when I watched it uh, with Kayla all those years ago. So that you know, it doesn't speak great. Doesn't speak that that, that wonderful mm. about the the things. But yeah, I mean, I remember thinking when the movie ended, Mike, I thought this was ineffective, mm-hmm. and I also felt like it was it was an A twenty four movie too, which I did not know. Well, that was like a it's one of those a distribution ones, situation, yeah, right? Which is like, produced. Yeah, because yeah. like I, there's another movie of the of A twenty fours I really love that is technically not really an A twenty four movie, which is like Hot Summer Nights, and I saw I caught that at South by, and that was one of those that they really just kind of. Eh, we'll we'll put on this sticker here, and that's it. And then we won't yeah. really put too much push on it. And I think I Slice, feel like that was the case. Slice with Chance the Rapper, right, is another one. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean they do. Whatever happened to Chance the Rapper? By the way, I haven't seen him. He he popped up on some Chicago morning show recently, but I haven't seen him in years. Well, that follow up album came out, and then every critic were like, "Ooh, it's not good enough." No, we're not yeah, for some reason. Rap on Chance, we took a chance, and he blew it. Yeah, the hole in the ground, uh, 90 minutes. But I remember also thinking, you know, this is like a slow burn without the burn. Like, there was no real surprises by any no. means. I will say, no, that's not fair. The hole was much uh, greater than I thought it was going to be. I figured <laughs> it was going to be like a little hole in the ground, like that movie. What's that movie that, that it's about the kid who finds like a troll in a hole? The gate. The, no, 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 no. Vanderbilt, I think you might even know this one. Oh, it's it's going to shudder forever. And he's like, he feeds this troll in the hole. It's not Trog. Troll oh hunters? My, the pit, the pit, the pit. Oh, the pit. Oh, oh, the Canadian yeah, yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, the Canadian one. So anyway, I thought that the hole was going to be like more of a pit, but this is like a crater-sized hole. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like, I'm surprised more people are out here checking this thing out. <laughs> I thought the lead performer actually was pretty good in it, the mother who plays yeah. the mother. Yeah. But it just, the movie sits there mm-hmm. for 90 minutes, and then it's over with, and then, Okay. Right, well, isn't that what you were? Isn't that surprising that that was the choice then for Evil Dead, which is usually like shotgun, 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 and not just actual literal shotguns, yeah. but even just the way that it's shot. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. very like it was a choice. It was yeah, a, choice a choice to do it this way, and not. I think there might be like a scratched lip, but it's not like it's some gore fest by any means. It's either, really so not. It, it no. was not. It was not that at all. Well, it was also like sequences that I'd seen before. Like you mentioned the hole, the literal titral hole, and it's like. You know, watch three minutes of the descent and you feel a little bit more. Hell, watch three minutes of descent too, which you guys spent more time talking about than the actual original one. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. that movie's a mess. Uh, yeah, that I, movie. I, but that, but that has a little bit more of that claustrophobia. Like I didn't really feel it in this either. I just, I, I mean, it looks, it looks fine. Like it's, I wouldn't even go and say it looks great. I just think it looks, it, it's, it's, it's a. I can't even define the palette because there's a lot of grays, there's a lot of smokes, there's a lot of there's depth. But there's just something, there's a soul missing, if we're seeing mm-hmm. the theme. So. Ironically enough, there's a soul missing in the production as well as that child. Yeah. Uh, anyway, back to this, though. 
Bruce Campbell commented on the new movie, and he said, at its core, Evil Dead is about ordinary people overcoming extraordinarily terrifying situations. I can't wait for Alyssa and Lily, more on them later, to fill the blood-soaked shoes of those who have come before them and carry on that tradition. And obviously new to the franchise, Lee Cronin said that, quote, the Evil Dead movies filled my brain with terror and awe when I first saw them at nine years old. I'm excited and humbled to be resurrecting the most iconic of evil forces for both the fans and a whole new generation. So just like the Ash vs. Evil Dead TV series, and when you see the movie, you won't believe it, but Evil Dead Rise was filmed in New Zealand, even though it was set in Los Angeles. Uh, and huh. I'm being very facetious. But again, we here at Halloween were so confident near the end of 2021 that the movie would absolutely have been released sometime last year. And it was supposed to be on HBO Max initially, too. We weren't Evil Dead wrong. We certainly were dead wrong. Uh, we all know by now about the famous cancellations midway through productions of Batgirl and Scoob Holiday Haunt, which I love to say out loud. <laughs> by Warner Brothers president, the wonderful David Zasloff. And even Lee Cronin on social media was crossing his fingers that Evil Dead Rise wouldn't wind up with the same fate, you know, permanently shelved after they had gone through making it. So the bad news for us was that the movie did not come out last season during our Evil Dead year, but the good news is that the oft-time soulless David Zasloff still saw the value in, you know, releasing movies that are within a very popular, profitable genre, you know, into movie theaters where they can make money for the companies. So the delays suck, but I guess this was, this was an unexpected best scenario for the creatives involved, or was it? I, I do want to say, again, Cronin spoke of doing the movie both for fans and a whole new generation. So Vanderbilt, how do you think he fared with, with those goals, trying to appease to both fan bases? I think he did fine mm-hmm. on that. It's not stuff that I like. I don't know if this is the point to talk about it. I'm, uh, I guess it is. Uh, you know, this is exactly yeah, where I want to talk about it because in watching this movie, I'm surprised, I guess, and I guess I can compare it to the remake in this way. What aesthetics filmmakers choose to keep from the original Evil Dead films and what they choose to reinvent or at least try and reinvent. So, like, you know, gone are those, you know, great white eyes from the original Mm. three movies, which I miss. Uh, Gone are those original pages from the Book of the Dead. And those are two things I'm like, well, why won't you just keep those? Like, because you're not not reinventing it completely. This isn't Mm -hmm. a hard reboot or anything like that. It still could, this movie could be the follow-up to the Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, or the most recent Evil Dead. It, it, It could fit in any of those timelines. But... I think like maybe where he maybe stumbles on some of that and like I hate using the term but too much like fan service like you're sitting at I'm sitting at a theater I'm like man there's a lot of this movie that's just Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen mm-hmm. like that meme right like I remember that that was a thing that I remember that happened before but I mean it delivers on the gore and everything like that and I think that's what I don't want to see an uneducated but maybe somebody who doesn't hold as much reverence for the series as we do looks Mm -hmm. for in a movie like this and i think it does deliver on that like this is a cool like if you were to see this you're just looking to see a horror movie you're not like a nut you're not the black t-shirt horror movie type you just want to go see a horror movie with your date on friday night 
I think this delivers on all of that. But we're going to constantly, this is the curse with IP. IP sells, but you're always going to have a group of people like us who are going to, and rightfully so, because we know history and we're, we, you know, we understand criticism, who are always going to compare it to the original series. Yeah, of course. You, you, you put the name in the title, you're going to, it's like, it's like the Black Christmas 2019. If it was called something else, I can't tell you that would be as critical of it. Nah, it's, actually, it's a pretty dumb movie. Ah, but, you're wrong. <laughs> maybe I'm wrong about that. Uh, <laughs> Mac, uh, what about you? We talked a little bit about this off mic as well, but how, how'd you feel it fared for both fans yeah, and I, a new generation? I, the next after generation? we watched the movie, I leaned over to to Vanderbilt and I said, if, you, if you're going to make your own thing, make your own thing. You don't need to be fan service they had an out. They had a huge out where at the beginning of the movie, they talk about there's three books, right? And that's mm-hmm. still playing into the idea, like, because I was talking to Mike about it, about there's the three books in Army of Darkness, right? And even though that's just kind of a gag, but you could say that there were multiple Necronomicons out there. And this is a second book, and that's why mm-hmm. it has different pages. And that's why the demons are still saying the same kind of things. Like, that's the connection. That's the connectivity. But it's a different it's different lore or different way of, you know, whatever. Maybe it's a slightly different demon. I don't know. It's a different Kandarian demon, you know? Like, so I feel like you had this out where you could be like, it, to me, it's, it's very much like Star Trek into darkness, right? Where it's yeah. like, okay, you have this out where you created this whole new universe and said, we're going to now, we, this is a whole new timeline for these people. We don't know what's going to happen to them. And then you just try to, <laughs> the next movie is a remake of one of the most popular movies. <laughs> Of the Star Trek franchise, Wrath of Khan. It's like, what are you doing? So with this, I just felt like there were new things that I was kind of like getting on board with. But then they would start like doing cool quotes from the original franchise. And you're like, if all of the cool things in this movie are just quotes and things that remind me of another movie, is this a good movie? Mm -hmm. Like, is this is this a... Is this a movie that's standing on its own? And I agree with you, Justin. If this was just its own movie... Uh, and not an Evil Dead film, like, no, I wouldn't be as critical of it, uh, it because all of my criticisms are pretty much about it being not successfully being its own thing, you know what yeah. I mean? And like doing and taking us and taking us into new ground. This all started with the lingering shot of the blue milk in, in Rogue One, of like <laughs> that, that the Easter egg that that's no longer an Easter egg, but now it's, it's become a part of the scene. You know what I mean? Like we're all focused on that East. We're all focused on that moment as opposed to what's actually happening in the the new story. I wanted to add something about like, and one thing that's cool about the evil dead lore is that there are literally no rules because the demons look different pretty a little bit from movie to movie. Mm -hmm. There's not like a set of, I don't think there's like an evil dead Bible that says deadites can do this. Deadites can't do that. Sorry, they definitely explore that in the show, right? It's just like all kinds of demons yeah. and stuff, you know? So, yeah, yeah. They could look like a vampire if you wanted to. And I think they've established enough in the series that you could do that. So I think that was just a point that I wanted to make, adding on to like they, they could have, like you said, Mac, like instead of just doing the same stuff all over again. I mean, one of the most egregious moments in this one, as far as that, is the eyeball. Yeah, like if that was the one thing they did, it'd be like, that's funny. You know, like that, that's, that's, that's a fun nod, but th- that's not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's a lot, there's just a lot of references, lines, fucking chainsaw for no reason. Like it, it, it just like stuff like that. You're just like, what are we, what are we doing here? That's, but that's the problem. They, they don't really, 
it goes through somebody's head, but they don't really turn on its head. Ralph, I know you're pretty fascinated with this, the history of these franchises and how they compare and, and contrast, but what was your take on did Cronin accomplish either of these goals? Did he, do you think that he may be satiated for the new generation or the old fans, the, long, the long-time fans, or both, or neither? I, think? I, think, I don't think so. I think that with... I, I, it's weird because going out of the 2013... You know, Fetty's version, you know, in, in 2013, I, I remember walking out and just feeling like pretty adrenalized and pumped and like thinking like, and in, 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 you know, I talk about this in the episode from last year, like, oh, this is probably what a lot of people thought or felt when they were watching the original one in the early 80s, you know, at least somewhat similar, mm-hmm. probably not the same because you're comparing apples and oranges, but at least I felt something walking out of this one, I, you know, I kind of, you know, we're in the cab coming home. Uh, cab lift like, what is this 1983 mm. and i just was thinking like oh yeah we saw an evil dead movie but like it doesn't really feel like an evil dead and a lot of it has to do with just like it all comes back to me like the final shot of just like the title stamp the punch it doesn't feel earned at all because as vanderbilt did a really good impersonation of this it's like at the end it's like somebody's just wandering around slowly and then it just goes evil dead rise i'm like yeah like this is this is kind of a soft blow it's like it's like when you play mortal kombat and you don't know the finishing move, and it says "finish him," and then you just kind of punch, and then it falls, and then it goes over. <laughs> like that's what it felt like to me. Even like, I get that reference, you know. So I, for me, I, I think it fails in that capacity because I just didn't really feel anything. And even after the next day, you know, talking to Sammy about it, um, she was just like, "Oh yeah, we saw an Evil Dead movie yesterday," and I was like, "Yeah." I was like, I'll probably never watch it again after, you know, after this. And like, that's a problem. Like, I, I think, you know, if there's, if there's one thing the Evil Dead franchise has, including 2013, it's rewatchability. Like these movies, the, the, you know, why do we talk about these movies on this, this podcast? It's because we want, we rewatch them, we pour over them, we have fun. There's moments that we want to revisit over and over again. I just can't really say the same thing about this. Like it's, it's competent in that, like what Vanderbilt said, like if I'm going to see a horror movie on Friday night, sure, it's fine. But that's it. And sure, there are moments that I'm going to highlight that I think are really interesting and cool. And I'd, I'd like to, I'd, I think that would have been interesting that they would have been exploring it a little bit more. But overall, I, I, I didn't get bruised. I didn't get bludgeoned. I didn't really feel like I was coated with blood. It takes a lot more than just filling an elevator with blood to say, hey, we got all this blood in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, even with that, like that's literally a Shining reference. Like, so that's not even the original part of the movie. So I, I just, there are little things like that that I keep looking back on. I'm like, fuck, this, this does kind of feel like um, sort of a, well, we waited 10 years. Granted, many of those years, we got this in- incredible series that certainly connected more to the original franchise. But even then, it's still 10 years since follow-up feature film-wise. And it just kind of feels like a shrug. Yeah, it, it, it was a really unique experience for me in the theater because I, I want to say right off the bat, I didn't think this was awful by any means. No, it's I not really awful. It was, no, it, no, that, no. But in a way, I almost wish it was because there'd be yeah. a lot more to talk about, right? But And, and when you look, at, and you look at the bones of the story and how it, and how it all unfolds, it's pretty unforgiving because you've got a family, not just a family that we've seen a million times in horror movies, but it's a family that genuinely seems to love each other. You know, the mother and her son and, and, two, and two daughters. You know, there's no evil mother that gets hers and we're like, yeah, good, she's dead or something. You know, they seem to actually love each other. And the fact that the only survivor is the youngest daughter and she has to watch what happens to her family, you know, actually see them become demons and what happens to them and you know, being dismissed by her own aunt, dismissed, that's a very kind way of putting it, killed, chopped in half, chopped all over the place. <laughs> you know, I thought, well, that's, so this is not what I hate, you know, hashtag hug me horror. It's not hug me horror. 
Right, Mike. Sorry, do you want to say something, Mike? No, no. I, I, I agree with you on that. Oh, okay. I, I, like because the thing is, is that you know one of the curveballs that I liked in that first one, uh, or not the first one, the 2013 one, is the mm. is the new narrative they brought to it, which is you know if you look at the parallels, the two parallels of these these movies is that all right, well Mia has a, a, an addiction. It's an addiction narrative. And so in that respect, like Fetty Alvarez uses the addiction narrative really well because everyone thinks that she's just, you know, relapsed and she's just, you know, going through withdrawals and stuff. And that adds to the story, right? That like mm-hmm. builds into the story. And it's certainly, when you look at it thematically, she conquers evil just like she conquers her own addiction. Like all of it's narratively in sync. And I was thinking about, you know, the subplots to do with family and pregnancy, you know, with her own uh, pregnancy in this movie. And I just don't think that they lean into it hard enough. I don't think that the pieces are connected well, enough. Like I felt like well, they were very they like piecemeal. You know, it feels like the whole movie is a journey for her to say, "I do want to be a mother." Yeah, and like that's like, not enough for me. And I also <laughs> no, felt like yeah. it, it was too treacly in a way, mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that this franchise doesn't need to ever really be. And so I, I just felt like it was an interesting theme to put into this, and especially with the family aspect of it. But I also don't think it was it was merciless enough. Like I think that you could have gone even further to really earn that evil that, that to well, kind of feel the more of that evil dead punch. Let me interject on that because I didn't the the mother stuff's fine, but it's like it goes back to some of the same issues with the remake is that I just don't think the Evil Dead movies need heavier themes to work. Now I understand you know series evolve and series change, and this is kind of the trend in horror and i guess maybe maybe it started with that first evil dead i don't know was there anything before that that i mean yes i know horror has always dealt with heavy themes but in the modern world where that became more of a a trend hyper focused on it. hyper focused there you go that's a great term for it i just like one of the things that uh, in reimagine or not really like reassessing the original film there we have no background on those characters we have less background than your average friday the 13th movie we don't know anything about them and i think that would have worked in this movie although i do like i think that they really kind of nailed to justin's point creating this the modern american family right where Mm -hmm. it's not just a house in the suburbs that it is they're in quote-unquote los angeles and they're all kind of musician types and i think they captured that look and that vibe really well and in to justin's point again didn't make them like i don't know scumbags or anything like they didn't yeah. make the mom a dirt bag or anything mm-hmm. well that's well that's what i'm saying though like with i agree with you like i don't need my evil dad to be like complicated with themes and be oh I, I apologies for saying this elevated horror but like if it works in in service to the story which i think it really does in fetty alvarez is because it creates a a, a, a sort of conundrum right like if it's fueling the characters in that story to they, to have doubt which is something that really you know, is there present in the original one because they're just by nature, like what, who would believe that there's an evil book that's coming to life, but to exacerbate that notion of, oh, well, it's just her addiction. That to me was a really interesting thing that, that fueled the narrative. Like even if they didn't nail the idea of her coming around to her own addiction and stuff, at least it had that component that created that sort of conundrum that was narratively sound. And in this, I just don't really know what it did other than oh, I have to kill my own family members, but we kind of already did that with the Friends thing, with the original. So but it's like, so when they are leaning really heavy into the themes and having these obvious things, like the girl saying, like, you could be a good mother because you could lie. And like my heads, my eyes rolled in my back and I, the white eyes did come back. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. It just, it felt like too like, too well, now you're leaning on it. Now you yeah. are leaning on it. So you better yeah. fucking land it. And they, I just don't feel like they really land it. Like, 
I don't know, like maybe had the kid pull, you know, shoot the, or put the, the mother in there or something like that, or like maybe kill the kid. I, I, I don't know. It's something that to surprise me, but it didn't. It just kind of felt like a very treacly is the word I can only think of right now. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. With that. And yeah. here's the thing that I discovered when I was watching it. I was trying to figure out, like, why isn't this working for me? Because it was clearly gruesome. Like there was some really gruesome stuff going on in this movie. I thought the CGI, whenever it was there, was, was well hidden. Mm-hmm. Thanks to shadows and it being largely in the dark. But I do think after watching these, especially the first four movies, even the TV show for that matter, and then this movie, I think for a, an Evil Dead movie to work, you have to be, at, with, the, with all the gore or whatever you want to involve, obviously, but you still have to be scary or funny. And like the first movie for me is scary with some laughs. The second and third movies are funny with some scares. And 2013 is just pretty scary, I think. But I didn't think this movie was was funny or scary. Mac, what what do you think about that take? I, I agree. I, I I don't feel like it really landed. I think it's a really hard line to walk, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that Evil Dead 2 does it the best where it's like, it's scary, but it's also really absurd and funny. The other movies work because they'd lean more into one or the other, right? And this was mm-hmm. trying to walk that line. But the problem is, like we were saying, if you're going to do that, if you're going to do a horror film that's also a comedy, but then you're going to do this pregnancy thing, and <laughs> which is which is very, very something that you should be taking seriously. And like, I don't know if you're in, in today's culture, if you're talking about like being a mother or, or, you know, like keeping the child and all that kind of stuff, like that's heavy, heavy, heavy message stuff going on in an Evil Dead film to tackle and if you can't balance that, and th- and that's already hard enough, you know what I mean? Like, and then you're going to try to make this a comedy as well. Like, I don't know, because there were parts that worked for me in the, on the comedy. For, like, like when she when you're looking through the eye hole and all that stuff's just happening. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like that actually worked for me. I was like, oh, this is fine. Okay, I, I I see why they grabbed this guy to do this because this is like being Ramy without being Ramy. Right? It's a different kind of humor that they're bringing to this. But then that's like, then they just like, don't do that again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they don't do anything like that again. Like that seemed to be the only real, I don't say creative because it's hard to make a movie. I'm saying like in terms of a creative sequence that stood out to me, it was the people sequence, which happens in succession. And I haven't really seen that done too often. So I, I thought that was a pretty good scene. Yeah. So I, I guess I want to talk about, and you three can be my doc, my psychologists in this one. Because again, the movie was very visceral throughout, I thought. But we mentioned earlier, like, because we've seen with the TV show, like, what, 20 plus hours of gruesome activity. Is it possible that, I'll just say for myself, maybe I have seen too much in this franchise in particular to not be shocked by anything that happens in this franchise anymore? Like, there's only so much more they can do without feeling like a retread or ineffective. And so I kept trying to think of, trying to put myself in what Lee Cronin was talking about, you know, the, the boots of a new generation. Well, that's, the I kept thinking about me watching a movie in 1993 and being largely disinterested in the movie that would have come out in 1955. So teens seeing this evil dead rise today, it is likely that they might have a, not likely that they might, that makes no sense. They might have a better time and are probably disinterested in most movies that came out in the early eighties. If that's the comp. So do Matt, do you think about any of this when you're when you're trying to watch these modern works that are affiliated with or in the same genre 
from stuff that was made, you know, 40 years ago. I've been more aware of that when watching films, especially films that are kind of remakes or whatever, because mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, if I have never seen any of these movies and this is my first horror movie, is this still, is this effective? Is it still mm. effective and scary and doing the things it's supposed to do? But I think that's the conundrum here is like, if you were going to make a movie for, for the new generation, a, a, an evil dead for the new generation, you've got to leave everything behind mm-hmm. because if you're trying to appease fans, and you look back at like, the, I mean, the, the the only thing in this movie that maybe could have appeased fans of like the original Evil Dead movies is the blood filled elevator sequence because it's so over the top. I mean, it, you, you know what I mean? Like in terms of like the first film, like I felt like all because that's how I felt during the movie. Every single kill, every single thing I wanted more. I was like, no, nope, need to do that more. Oh, the cheese grater thing that needed to be like, yeah, really, really going at the well, leg I, to the yeah. bone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it needed to. Everything needed to be amplified if you're gonna if you want to hit that level of Evil Dead like absurdity, and it just wasn't. And so I couldn't help but look at it from that standpoint. But again, if this was its own movie, and it was like this is like loosely based on Evil Dead, or this is for a new generation, we don't want you to be like comparing it. Like this is just jumping off point for a new Evil Dead series that's inspired by Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. Then I would have been like, okay, I wouldn't be doing all those like comparisons or wanting this or wanting that. And like, and it didn't help that before the movie started, there was like a little intro by Lee Cronin saying, "There's tons of gore, there's tons of all this. You guys are going to be happy." And then to not really do that. Uh, I mean, some of the stuff was effective. Some of the things that happened, I was like, ooh, you know, like there were some gruesome moments. But it was not as like just ball, you know, balls to the wall kind of like craziness, you know, that I expect from the Evil Dead franchise. Stephanie was bigger than uh, the fucking cheese grater. I mean, like I, I, I mm. couldn't believe that the cheese grater was like ten seconds, or not even ten seconds. It was probably like four seconds. It, it was just one considered. one pass on the leg. I thought that's what people are talking about. I was like, hmm. have they never seen? Any horror movies ever? <laughs> like I was like, that's I didn't get that. Have, have, oh. I want to ask about cheese grater. Have they never been to the uh, to get a pedicure? Like I love when they pull the cheese grater out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just feel like people were talking about this. Like this was going to be like th- some scene to end all scenes. Like, I thought that maybe like the cheese grater was just going to be used until like the bone was sticking out. But That's I think what it was I just was like saying, one yeah. mo- motion of it. I yeah, thought I I, it was pretty tame compared to some. I would have said there's ten other sequences in this movie alone that were much more. I know. Visceral and, and and unpleasant, right, Vent Rothman? Oh. oh yeah, easily. I mean, the even just like the way she probably hits her head multiple times in the bathtub, uh, and not to mention the stabbing through the hand and all this other. I mean, there there are certainly. I mean, like I said, staff anything is is far more like you know interesting to watch than the quick great of the cheese grater I, I just i i was still like all right there's one moment where are we going another and i and i wondered if they maybe cut some stuff out but i i don't know it seems like that was it was pretty much gone at that point it just mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like for someone to go through the ringer in this movie you know in terms of like all the leads i guess we can say that for when we talk about characters and all but like it just felt like very you know the survival aspect of it all wasn't nearly as uh i guess <laughs> 
insane as the, as it was for like say Ash or uh, any of the the supporting characters in Ash vs Evil Dead or even with Mia like Mia literally like <laughs> becomes a deadite in the fucking the, you know the yeah. movie and then comes back from it like she so she gets you know Beth here gets her hand stabbed the cheese grater. You know, there's some some sequences here and there. She gets stabbed and punched. Like it falls. It just doesn't seem like it goes through the ringer that much for <laughs> all this hype that's coming around this movie. Like I just felt like there was going to be the most insane. Like the kids get it worse than her in a way. Yeah. The mother gets it worse than her. I mean, maybe that's the appeal here. I don't know, but was just very surprised by that for sure. I I think I think this would have been more effective if if it had been Beth that became the villain. Or even one of the kids, right? Because then you have someone where everything, like, oh my God, this is my child. It's like, this is my sister. This is my child. All these people are training the deadites, you know, and it's more of me, 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 and like things happening to me, even if it's not actually happening to me. Something that we haven't really talked, addressed though, is the, because the thing, the reason those movies work, Mike, is, is the isolation, right? It's like, there is, it's just them. What are they going to do? And this movie, the whole conceit of this film is that they're in a high rise. Mm-hmm. But they only stay on one floor and they don't explore that at all. Yeah. Except for the the parking garage. Like they don't explore. Like they don't. You, it shouldn't have been about. You know what it should have been about is like we're in this high rise, but everybody's not paying it. There's no. You know how everybody's so isolated now in their own pods and no one comes out even after COVID. Like no one wants to do anything. No one wants to know their neighbor. No one wants to have a weird conversation in the hallway. Like it could have been about being isolated in and around a ton of people and just no one cares. And no one knew that all this was happening in his apartment or something like that. And then had it kept and then made some kind of commentary there, even though I, you know, again, then we're hitting elevated horror again, but you could have done it in a way that made, made, like played with that isolation, but they don't do that either. <laughs> like I think guns are going off is, and all sorts of things and no one comes upstairs to check it out. I don't know. We've been talking for, about this for the last couple of years with the, with the demons to yeah. comparison, right? And it's almost a mm. damned if you do, damned if you don't, because what, what's happened now is that it really is nothing like demons Two, because demons Two takes place throughout that entire high rise yeah. apartment complex. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this movie literally just takes place on the floor. And like you said, at the very end, my uh, Mac, the parking garage. So, okay, it's different. Good. We won't have to make the comparisons. It's not another knockoff of Demons 2. But the problem is, you've got this great setting in a high-rise apartment building, and you're going to keep confined? I know. It doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I don't get it. Like, and, and I got to tell you, like, and, and I know it's not, it's not <laughs> fair to make comparisons all the time, and we're definitely guilty of that. I know I am. But I have a whole new appreciation for Demons 2. Yeah, right. After yeah. this movie, I really do. Like, I always thought it was it paled in comparison to that original, but I actually just want to go back and rewatch Demons too and see how they pulled this off. And we can talk about this now because we're not going to spend a lot of time on the extra characters because, to be honest with you, the movie really doesn't. They're really just fodder to become demons. And one shot in the a way hole. that <laughs> the earlier entries do not. The earlier entries, when you think about it, everybody becomes a deadite. You spend some time with them. So you spend some genuine time with them before it happens. And this movie strangely didn't do that. But even Demons 2, you spend time with people in their apartments one-on-one in the 30 minutes leading up to the big possession birthday sequence, Rothman. Well, so does Shivers. Like, I was thinking yeah. that too, yeah. which is, you know, Cronenberg. Like, Cronenberg. Yeah. like, that movie is even more superior in that respect because, it, like, you literally have 
short stories with every one of those characters and they add up when you know the whole the whole of it all comes together at the end of this movie on the ground and i so it's funny i was talking to megan navarro about this yesterday you know she caught it at south by and she had said, you know, she had it best. She's like, Demons 2 understood the, assi- the high-rise assignment, <laughs> which, is, yeah. which is so true. It really is. I mean, it's like you have this. This is what's setting you apart, other than the family aspect of it all. This is what's set. It's literally in the fucking title. Yep. And we get one shot of looking out, like, you know. Also, the overcomplicate. Like, I was thinking about this. Like, they, I, I, and I feel like maybe it's because they overcomplicated things. Like, you know, the whole bank vault thing. In the in, in in the whole mythos that they have to roll into this, which takes up a lot of time in this movie, if there's a lot of exposition, <laughs> all you really had to do is kind of just. They mentioned this like really eerie uh, apartment down the you know the the way, right? That's like, oh, there's this apartment that we have to go through. Oh, we haven't gone through that apartment. That seems like a pretty easy way to open up the apartment complex for you. Like, oh, there's an earthquake. There's a fire escape through this apartment. Let me open this uh, the, this apartment up. Whoa, what's all this creepy f- uh, shit that we found? And then that opens things up. And then the all hell breaks <laughs> loose. And you have everyone involved. You have the apartment complex. I don't sort of see why we needed to stray away from the actual focus here. I, it's, it's, it's kind of baffling to me. The old bank vault thing was a stretch, right? It was like, <laughs> okay, that's weird. But then not only does he go down there, and, and it'd be one thing if he opened up a security deposit box and the book was in it. But there's actually like, it's like also a crypt there's like a tomb in there <laughs> that's broken. And then he finds that like, wait, so in this bank vault, they were housing like this, the tomb of a, of what? Like it, it makes, that doesn't make I know. sense. I, I, that didn't really that bother me. Well, it's just I, so overcomplicated. This isn't like Indiana Jones' Last Crusade. There's like literally like a, a coffin, a giant stone coffin in the bank vault. Oh, I didn't. That felt weird to me. I didn't mind that because yeah. I mean, if you believe that all that stuff was in the cabin, of the first yeah, movie, I mean, right? Like, fine, but you know, but he's studying. He's studying all that <laughs> stuff. He brought it there from yeah. this place, right? Doesn't like the book flip open too, and the, you know, I, that was just kind of goofy setup. I didn't care. I don't know, y'all. <laughs> I only bring that up not to be a stickler, but but just because to show that like they they overcomplicated it. Like all you yeah. really needed to do is just focus on the building and then have the one room down the hallway. Like that's it. It's so simple. If we're talking about hashtag high rise horror, we also have to talk about Critters Three. Like, hey, do we have enough to make mm-hmm. a top ten list? Is there an episode here? Because you even do the movie High Rise, for that matter. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. If you're tasked with writing Evil Dead Rise and you're putting into a high rise, I think one of the first things I would do as a screenwriter is just try to make a list of like ten things you can only do in a high rise. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, come up with some high concept stuff and then work backwards from there. I think because that's a big thing if you're going to, if you're going to, I feel I cannot, it's on the tip of my tongue. There's another movie that did this where it was like, oh, they put it in this really cool setting. And then guys three is one of them. Th- um, there you go. There's more oh, high rise yeah. horror. But you're saying that they, they missed the assignment. They put it in a really cool setting. They didn't do anything with it. And didn't do anything with it. I think um, there's something about th- th- to be said about this, that it, it is very possible. And I'm sure we'll learn about this in the years to come that maybe that original draft did utilize an entire apartment complex, right? And then maybe they had to scale it back because of budget limitations. That's also possible. Well, all we can criticize is what the movie is. But we can criticize not necessarily what it wasn't, but the fact that, you again, you had this building that you could have really played around with, and they just didn't do it. They didn't do it. I I don't understand the purpose of that. uh, I mean, Vanderbilt, your nickname for this episode 
stresses that <laughs> that idea of how overcomplicated this is. Why do we have padding on this in the, in the cabin? And and I'm, and I agree with you because you mentioned something in the now showing episode about how we need to stop you know critiquing of stuff that's not there and, yeah. and whatever. And I, and that's something that I'm, I'm I'm also trying to stress. But and I'm trying not to do that here. But like looking at a whole, this is ninety minutes mm-hmm. again. 10, 15 of it is dedicated to this this lore that we don't need. That's true. That's true. Five of it's five of it, at least five of it, is dedicated to this padding that we seriously don't need. That is incredibly superfluous. Like, why do we and have like, the one the day earlier? The you're referring to is the opening, the, the opening closing and the closing. Like, yeah. why do we have this? Why is that here? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Was anyone else really confused by that initially? Like, I, when they moved when when they moved from that and they said one day earlier, I was like. Okay, at the, for the first like twenty minutes, I was trying to figure out how that was going to connect to it instead of really paying attention. Right, and, yeah. and I was like, and I because I didn't know the actresses very well. I was like, wait, was that supposed to be one of these people? Oh, interesting. Yeah, I I, I recognize it was different people because I think the other girl was much younger. But remember how exciting it was when Solo, a Star Wars story, was almost the first Star Wars movie without a lightsaber in it. I know, I know. Yeah, and then yeah. they had to throw There's a lightsaber in. in that movie. There is. Yeah, Are you talking with me? No, I, I, I've only seen it once. When does it happen? Darth Maul. Yeah. Oh, at the end. And it's that so close. Really count, though. <laughs> but it's almost so there. Close. But it's almost there, right? That doesn't so count. So this could have been the first Evil Dead movie that doesn't feature a cabin. Yeah. And they could have just said, for this, if you're going to do a whole new series, the cabin's gone. We're never going back to the I cabin again. I think that again. was the joke, though, because also in that sequence we get, which I, admittedly I thought was pretty clever with that drone the, camera what you think is the spirit, but it's a drone it's, camera. It's, it's a great, but you could have done the drone camera. You could have been going through the woods and realize you're in a forest reserve right outside of Los Angeles. Yeah. It's completely unnecessary. So like they, the Predator 2 opening. Yeah. With Honestly, the yeah, jungle exactly like that. Yeah. So yeah. they have the prologue and the epilogue, which are just there to, I mean, it's fan service to appease fans to give you those two things that you want, two or three things you want out of an Evil Dead movie, right? And like, the ending drives me crazy because that ending with the, the quick zoom in of the spirit on the girl going to the cabin, who we is completely superfluous to the story, should have been our heroes. Because, yeah. And I still think that they should have kept the ending of the remake where Mia dies because nobody gets out alive in the Evil Dead movies. Remember that Twitter account that even suggested that Ash never survived that first movie? Oh, that guy who's adamant about the second one. <laughs> but he's being right. A remake. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I, I I laugh about it. I mean, but he's right. Ash, if you if that's just a single movie, The Evil Dead, Ash dies at the end of that one. Yeah. Well, then Michael Myers dies at the end of H two O, and at the end, you know. So yeah, there's it, it all depends on what that next movie does, right? Sure, you know? but like you should give the implication like that the the survivor who I really liked uh, Beth and the girl should have been walking out into the sun and. Here he comes through downtown Los Angeles, the evil spirit. And they both scream. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean, again, that it's, the focus is off. It's like they did, it's like he went every, he went, like he tried so many times to not focus on what the movie's literally titled about. Like, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, I, it doesn't make sense to me. It's, it's, it's a bad choice. Another way you make that prologue and epilogue, or not epilogue, but prologue work at least. Is because I actually like this scene where she comes out of the water and it says Evil Dead Rise. I was like, mm. okay, here we go. Like, I didn't really love the opening. I thought some of the gore was like laughable, 
but okay. I was like, because I thought that the, the way they use the music and the score and the sound, at least the, the soundscape of the movie, I thought was pretty effective. All you had to do was say one day later or, or uh, two weeks later and have that girl's belongings like shipped back to her apartment in a, a package outside the front door of her apartment or something like mm-hmm. that. And they find yeah, okay. that. They find yeah. the book. Maybe it will work better. And then, because, like, to have the cabin in there at all, like, if it was supposed to be a mislead or a misdirect, like, cool. But you've gone so far out of your way to promote this as being in a (laughs) high-rise. It's like, you don't even need to have that in there, you know what I mean? That's like the Ellie Creed thing in Pet Cemetery, where the filmmakers were like, why are you showing this reveal in the trailer? Yeah. But it is what it is, and the movie is what it is. But my, my last question in this section is, you know, I mentioned that this movie was produced shot everything with the intention to have it go straight to hbo max a streaming service never theaters it was supposed to be Mm -hmm. you know shown on hbo max on a friday night or whatever did this movie get swallowed up by the big screen do you think maybe it would have played better if you were just watching it on a friday night and here it is on hbo max i i i think it plays i think it's going to play better in theaters when it comes out because i want to give a shout out to our editor May because I don't think anybody in the theater enjoyed that movie as much as she did. It's true. Yeah, well, I agree. She was she was having a great time. But what was strange about the movie was, I mean, the movie theater. It wasn't like it was just random people there. Oh no, there were horror fans. There, there were horror fans there. Like, there were no. people who were there for who were who, who were horror fans, Evil Dead fans that were packing that house. The screening that they we were saw. strangely quiet. It was yes. very strangely quiet. I was but I was bizarre about even that. at the I, end. I've, there was no applause or anything. It was I so I'm, so my question now is also. Let's do a quick pivot. Is I don't know how this is going to do at the box office. I don't know how well this is going to do this. I don't think this is going to do that well. I don't want to just base it on the reaction there because I guess maybe even South by had a better reaction. But listen, we've all been to film festivals, especially when the (laughs) the crew is there. Everything is just heightened a little bit more. You're a little bit more forgiving, I think, too. But with this, it was an oddly muted screening, I will say. I think audiences are going to dig it personally. Yeah, we'll see. I think if this, that I think another problem for me for this release is that it was supposed to come out to HBO Max last year. I think if it had come out and we had seen it, we might have been like a little bit more. I don't know. I think we would have been like, oh, why, why didn't this come out in theaters? Like this, uh, this probably would have been really more effective in theaters mm, and blah maybe. blah blah. Yeah. And and then accepted it for what it was. And not been as overly critical, but then they were like, "No, test screenings are, are saying that this is gonna, this is like actually we we've got to we've got to push, we've got to release this in theaters. This is gonna be, this is gonna be the one." And so when it really wasn't, I was really more dis- I was really disappointed because then it's like you gave us like an extra like five months of anticipation mm-hmm. now yeah. that like oh they have a lot of faith in this. They have so much faith in this. You know, we're seeing this movie two, you know, weeks before it comes out. Like, oh my gosh, this is going to be like, this is going to be really like, and then it just wasn't for me. So I just feel like that was really much more disappointing that they like, you know, ramped it up again. There was like a second wave of like hyping it. And I was like, uh, this didn't work for me. Yeah, Vanderbilt? Well, I, I know that it's kind of the basis of the show and I know I can be the worst culprit. Is I think we're we're being too harsh on it from a fan point of view. And that's our job. That's what we do. But I think the average fan 
maybe the average audience member is going to be quite taken by this movie. Because I think it delivers enough of the goods. And I mean, without, you know, showing my hand before we give the rating, I mean, I, I, w- I wavered on this throughout the screening, but I landed on there's more good stuff than I don't want to even say bad stuff. The, the bad stuff's just more middling than anything else. I don't think there's anything really bad in this movie. Uh, and the only, uh, the only thing to me that would really make it, if you were just, as it is to make it better. I mean, you just need to tighten up that ending. You need to give it a little bit more of that manic energy of evil dead too. And I think you could do that by cutting some, (laughs) you could cut some shots of people walking into rooms and reacting to things and have a much better 75 minute movie closer to the, what do I want to say? The, the pacing of something like army of darkness. Was it 77 minutes? Uh, 80, 80 minutes for the original army of darkness. Rothman, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, not really. I, I think I, I, you know, I agree with most of the sentiments that I, you know, if you're seeing this in a crowded, packed house on a Friday night, I think you'll probably have a little bit more of a reaction than you would if you've just seen it at home. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that a lot of the shots and the way this is is all framed out to be. I mean, especially even with just the hallways and I mean, to to Cronin's credit, like there are a lot of like. There's a lot of depth in a lot of uh, you know his his shot selections here, so I think seeing it on screen is already a plus. And also, I just anytime you see a horror movie in theaters, it's going to be a fucking upgrade anyway. I, I I just I stand by that. I I don't know where this movie is going to go in terms of its success, though. I just I really don't. I think it's because Evil Dead in itself is such a weird genre to begin with. It's such a and one of the reasons why I love it so much is I think I compared it to like the Ramones when we um started talking about this franchise and that it's it's one of those that's you're easily able to 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 jump into and it's one that makes you feel like oh i could do this as well and Mm. there's something that's there's a personality to that that that's really specific to a type of horror fan but also a type of movie goer into a a type of kinetic spirit that i think has made it hard for it to be a sell for folks because it's it's totally all over the place but i think that sort of wackadoo tonal shakeup is what makes it iconic but because of that it, it you know it, it really is like a hit or miss when you think about it like i mean yeah the longevity of this franchise is really you know obviously we're still talking about it we're still making movies you know 40 something years later but you know you mentioned the box office success of scream nothing <laughs> tied to this franchise comes even close to that right I just don't know if success success is so hard to equate with these franchises. What I'm trying to say, yeah, I mean, even the uh, the Alvarez 2013 version made made about 100 million worldwide, and with inflation, it's even more than that. So, I, but it's hard to pinpoint though because this isn't affiliated with that movie, and it's also not f- truly affiliated with the original not, trilogy yeah. or even the TV series that came out in between. So it's gonna be very. I'll be very interested to see how this does. I'll put it that yeah. way. Uh, but we'll see. A couple of things I want to talk about before we move on. Are, are there any Easter eggs that people know this? Because I know it's right away. I think it's the son's room. Is it Danny? When he's dicking around over his shoulder, you see a poster. And it's of the three stooges. And on the right, you see Shimp. Oh, that's cool. Which is a callback to, you know, the, the fake Shimps. And my nickname, which is a callback specifically to my nickname on these <laughs> Evil Dead episodes, specifically for me. Thank you. I appreciate that, Lee. Well, I wanted to talk about, so there's Henrietta's Pizza. Yeah, this is confusing to me. Which is a reference to Aunt Henrietta in Evil Dead 2, mm-hmm. but there is a there is a slogan on the box yep. that says, come get some. Now, mm-hmm. 
in the final moments of this movie, our our heroine, uh, Beth, exclaims, come get some to the Deadite Demon. So in this universe of Evil Dead, she's not quoting Bruce Campbell or the Evil Dead movies, but she is quoting the slogan on the pizza box. Now, <laughs> yep. I came up with a list. Oh, this will be I, good. I was one. I want. I want to see what you guys think. If any of these other catchphrases maybe have played better in the climax of Evil Dead Rise. Okay, Van. But what you have to do here, though, is you have to say it as seriously as they would say it in the movie. Okay. Give it the same gravitas to the same comic beat. Okay. So I got five of them. The five. All right. Go ahead. Aurelio's is pizza. (laughs) Okay. Very good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right. Not fair. I'm not really familiar with Aurelio's. Is that a local? It's a local. It's a, it's it's a, a local. Yeah. yeah. All right. No clue. No clue. All right. Life is short. Eat better pizza. All right. What's that from? I think that's Papa John's. No. <laughs> now you're just making up. I'm like really slogans. just looking this up. All right. We'll go on to the next one. You find that later on. What's the next one? Avoid the Noid. There we go. That's Domino's yeah. classic. Yeah, I got that one. All right. All right. Pizza. Pizza. That's the classic. That's Little Caesars. I like this. All right. And I got one more. I think this is the winner. No one out pizzas the hut. Oh, that could be a good one. That's a good <laughs> one. I think that would have been very intimidating at the end of this film, too. I think so, too. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you guys you guys often quote pizza slogans, uh, like oh. maybe when you're playing uh, Call of Duty or maybe the Evil Dead video game. That scene in Misery before um, Paul burns his book, he initially was supposed to say pizza, pizza. To Annie Wilkes before, before saying, I learned it from you. All right, well, we're going to have to do a poll to see which one of those slogans would have worked best in lieu of the, the classic Henrietta's Pizza slogan of come get some. Uh, Mac, did you have any, did you find anything? I had some weird things that I picked up on that I didn't know if other people picked up on. Mm-hmm. So, and the very, so the, lit- the very, 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 very beginning with the WB logo when it starts coming apart and going across the screen. It, the soundscape kind of did remind me of like you know going over the the roof the the, the roofing of the cabin you know, like the screeching scratching you know mm. like the weird soundscapes like the the Sam Raimi stuff I thought was kind of like I thought that was going to be a nod but then then I don't think it really was no. but a couple things I did like was the elevator doors closing open uh, closing and opening closing and opening closing and it reminded me of the swing in the cabin hitting the door over and over mm. hitting the side of the cabin okay. over and over again i thought that that was kind of a fun nod and then also when beth is on the bed next to ellie and she's supposed to be dead and then r- instead of like the spider veins and then she wakes up is this the cracked phone kind of reminded me of like it looked like spider van you know what i mean looked like oh. and then and she hears the thing i thought that was kind of a fun way of doing a new take on that yeah i mean obviously there were some other big ones those are just like weird takes that i was like i was like oh, i kind of like this this is like nods but not you only if you're really paying attention and you're watching this you're like oh yeah that is kind of like that but it felt like its own thing too right so okay. i was like this that's a cool way of updating this and paying homage without like you know hitting you over the head with it uh, sorry. Yeah. So you got you have got other Rothman, ones. Did you have anything though? I mean, at the end when she picks up a chainsaw, that felt 
kind of mm. like it was trying to be spiritually connected, at least, you know, and I say this spiritually, like, you know, everybody wants some to days and confuse. Felt like there was like a, a connective tissue there, you know. Oh, she, oh what, what made you think that though? Because she like revs it and like kind of revs it, you know, <laughs> uses the chainsaw to kill people. That felt like very connective tissue there. Something specifically though about that chainsaw is that it was on the logo for Fonda Lumber. And of mm. course, Bridget Fonda yeah. is uh, Linda in Army of Darkness. Linda number beginning. three. So, Linda number, three. Linda number three, four, five, six. Depends on how many people play Linda in those first couple movies. All right. Well, is there anything else to add to the history parks? I think it's about time to move oh, on wait. here. No, I've got right. another one. What do you got? The reading the Wuthering Heights is like the, in the pro- prologue is like the, the Jack of Spades, Queen of Hearts. Oh, okay. Reveal. Well, this is, my, I'm talking about more Easter eggs, not because the specific <laughs> references <laughs> we'll definitely talk about later on. I I know All I right. made a jo- I was making an absolute bullshit joke just then about the chainsaw <laughs> mic. Yeah, and I just googled this, but so court, uh, uh, here's an actual. There's some there's some connective tissue here with the chainsaw. I'm, I'm not joking here. Cronin said because I was looking for the Delta. I was I was I was, I was yeah, I convinced see that the Delta was going to be in the garage because that's what I had heard from reports, yeah. but it's not. Instead, he said, uh, and this is a direct quote that Cronin said to SFX magazine. This is from Bloody Disgusting ever heard of it what i looked to do was take things that are within the evil dead universe bring them into my own little kitchen and cook them up in a slightly different way he's talking about the easter eggs he says although there's no oldsmobile delta in the movie the chainsaw in the movie is exactly the same color as the oldsmobile delta so okay yeah right thank you lee i i was surprised that this is probably the first one that doesn't have the delta right correct yeah and it's crazy well i mean to be fair Fede Alvarez really has has come out and said that he does consider he considers the his Evil Dead to be a continuation of those yeah. of at least the first Evil Dead movie. Okay, I've asked a lot of questions of the three of you, but I hope you can help me with this next one, which is uh, why does she keep making those horrible noises? I don't want to die. You're not gonna leave me here, are you? Are you ass? <laughs> <laughs> so the person responsible for the the score of this motion picture is Stephen McKeon, who Rothman also did the score for The Hole in the Ground. Yeah, he's an Irish composer. A lot of little known indies over the years. I mean, a lot of stuff I just have no idea. And Mr. Filmbuff himself has never heard of, but notably a bunch of latter day John Borman features. I really have absolutely nothing to say about the score. For this movie or Hole in the Ground. Vanderbilt, do you have something to add? I, 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 nothing really stuck with me. Nothing necessarily stuck with me. I didn't find any memorable themes, but I am always impressed when I see a horror movie these days that use an orchestral score yeah. rather than a cheap synthesizer score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Rothman? No, I, I mean, I agree with that. Yeah. I, 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 del- I, do, I love strings. What can I say? And the strings are all present through here. It's very loud. As is the score in in Hole in the Ground, certainly adds some sort of propulsive quality to this movie. But I mean, beyond that, there wasn't really a stinger that that got to me. And if anything, it did feel kind of like what was it was just building on what Fetty Alvarez had done in 2013 with that mm. with that score. And I thought that score is is far more affecting and got under my skin. And you know, especially since that was like by Roke Banos, who I mean, you watched a lot of the scoring for that movie and. He's similarly doing a lot of things that even McLean, McKeon is doing here. It's just funny because there's so much focus on the scoring leading up to this movie. Like, do you remember like how many social media things like had popped up? Be like, oh, we're doing the scoring for the Evil Dead. 
and the scoring. And I and I guess the only thing I could take away from that is exactly what Vanderbilt said is that like it wasn't it was a real orchestra. It wasn't just some guy like sitting there with a fucking synthesizer or something. So kudos to that. I, yeah, I, yeah, I echo what you're saying. Yeah. Mac. Yeah, I felt like the main theme that came in three or four times in the movie reminded me of Christopher Young's Hellraiser theme a little bit, the way that it was scored. But for me, it was way it was much more the like sound editing, the soundscape and how they played with the room in the theater. Right. Like hearing sounds behind you, you know, and all that kind of stuff like that. That stuff I thought really worked, especially when they were listening to the vinyl of the dead <laughs> or whatever. The, the <laughs> vinyl. Three, I like that, you know, uh, like that I thought was really if that was cool and effective. And I thought I did like the um, like the noise canceling headphone bit or whatever. Because that was kind of that's playing with something new, right? And like something that's current and making it something cool. I, I like that idea, but uh, so the the soundscape and 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 I thought the the main theme was was all right. But again, it just reminded me of another horror movie that I like much better. So I don't know. Maybe it's not. Well, there was a movie that the song that was used in the trailer, which we can talk about, is "Que Sera Sera." You know, of course, it's your typical modern horror trailer where they slow oh. down a sweet song, you know. And <laughs> do you know what Que Sera Sera was made famous in? West Side Story. Same sound- decade, I believe, uh, Vanderbilt. That sound of music. Same decade, I think. Man Who Knew Too Much. Mm. Alfred Hitchcock, Doris Day, sings it in a very pivotal scene, especially towards yeah. the end of that film. Hey, can I just say how much I really did not like when that happened in the trailer? That really, that really irritated me and and sort of turned me off. To well, that's Dead been going Rise. on forever too with I, these trailers with yeah. the dumb slow songs and. But the, come on, it's been going on for twenty years. It's passe. Like, remember when trends used to change? Not anymore, no. buddy. That's <laughs> how long it's been. Oh, lordy, lordy, gross. Yeah. Well, then well, you had the, its own lullaby in this one as well. That wasn't that. Oh, when yeah, the one that Justin was singing. the little girl. Oh, I was door, actually just kind of singing in the background a little bit, yeah, coming along to was, it. Great song. Justin kills me. Well, <laughs> so funny. As we, as we mentioned, Ash is not in this movie. Mia's not in this movie. But there is a new kind of Ash uh, affiliate. Hashtag Ash affiliate. We'll use that term for this next person. And we're going to talk all about them in a category called Hail to the King, Baby. Sure, I could have stayed in the past. Could have even been king. But in my own way, I am king. All right, so who kind of, I mean, who literally picks up the chainsaw in this instance is the actor Lily Sullivan, who plays Beth. And this is—I always love this part of the podcast because now we've given these these this great dissection of our feelings about it and the history, and now it kind of just boils down to, yeah, they were pretty good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here I will be the the initiate. I will say I thought she was pretty good in this movie. Oh, <laughs> you know I, I mean? No, I see. I, I, mean, I really liked her. I disagree. I yeah, thought she was she pretty was, good. But no, I thought she was great. Like I, I. Well, I mean, all right. Look, Go ahead. it's not. Go ahead. It's hard to step in. The Evil Dead movies for me is always going to be Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi. So anybody else is going to feel like a pretender to the throne. And as much as I don't seem to be as high on the remake as you guys do, I did like Mia, Jane Levy. Like she was pretty good. But I think Beth, 
is a much more interesting and relatable character to me. And I think she she plays that like guitar tech, not a groupie, which that was actually a funny bit that kept going throughout the movie. I liked where everybody kept calling her a groupie. And oh, yeah, she or uh, a goopy, a goopy is what they kept saying, too, I think. And I, I just think she played that rocker chick to a T, like got it right. And I like the relationship with her and the, the sister because it felt real to me. You see, that's the thing. I, and right off the bat, I will say, like, I, I felt like there was a real struggle for all these actors trying to pull off American accents. <laughs> this is one, because a lot of times in these movies, you know, they'll, they'll at least fly out like one or two of the main characters from the States, you know, to say, oh, yeah, well, this is. We're definitely in Los Angeles because there's a Los Angeles bumper. There's a Los Angeles Lakers bumper sticker. That was a reference to John Carpenter, actually. That's right, because only Lakers. Lakers. Now he likes the Golden State Warriors, though. So you know, he's a front runner. He can do whatever he wants at this point. But so I think for me, it was really tough to. I mean, I was kind of laughing at some of the the dialect that was coming out of of the mouths of just this. uh, I'm always curious. We live in such a world now which is so globalized. I don't know why you can just say. We're setting this in fucking New Zealand or Australia. <laughs> yeah, or why? Why not? I, I don't lean understand into why that. you have to be like, this is Los Angeles, California, and it's nighttime, and we're in one floor of an apartment complex, and everybody's talking like this. You know, I just I don't get it anymore. But again, it's not what the movie. This is what the movie is. So that's the one criticism I can really give on it. Yeah, I'm. I personally, I I, I like the Beth. I thought she was cool. I mean, yeah. she's definitely like the Ash and Evil Dead, right? Like not not really like take charge or anything, just like everything's happening to them and they're just like going, you know, slowly being put through the ringer to an extent. Um, if we're going to even say that, I guess you, we could say, I mean, she's wielding the chainsaw at the end. That's just kind of like the next, the, the, the ash stand in or whatever. And maybe she makes it her own if they continue or they do an, an, another movie. And now she's kind of like Ash and Evil Dead 2, which is a little bit more, you know, a little more like I've, I've done this before kind of thing, you know? Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed her performance. Rothman, do you think that she had like a take charge performance? I mean, obviously at the end, she picks up the chainsaw and does the whole deal. But I mean, she's all right with what she gets, what she's given. I, yeah. I, I disagree that I think Mia has a lot more complicated nuance to her role. I just think that there's just more going on there. I mean, she's given the addiction storyline. She goes into like the. I mean, she literally becomes the dead eye, overcomes it. She's got the brother's death. I mean, she rips her arm off. There's just a lot more for her to do. Whereas, like, in this one, it's like, it just feels ancillary to, like, who I think is the real MVP of the movie, which is, like, this is actually, like, the first one I would say, like, the Ash almost feels like the dead eye. Like, it feels like evil Ash is conquered in a way where that was a more interesting central piece to this. Like, I, not to say, like, again, like, I'm back away everyone. Like, Lily Sullivan did a great job with what she had here. I just felt like the stuff that she got to do was very, like, it's like when you're in a cover band and you have to like do the beats, right? Like, all right, yeah, well, yeah. if you're in, if you're in the, you know, let's say you're a Doors cover band, all right, you're probably gonna have to end the show at the end, or you know, fuck up and and go off on the crowd or some shit like that. Like with this, it's like, yeah, you got to pick up the chainsaw, you got to get wounded a little bit, you got to do some research on your own, protect those who you come up to the hero mold, and she does those fine with the plum, but I just didn't really see much um, variance from that, that which came beforehand, you know, and not to say that, and also like, you know, she, I, I, I don't know. I just, there, there, she just didn't stand out as much to me as, as much as the, the other lead in this movie did. Um, well, like I that's, like the, you know. the fact that she is very much her own character throughout the whole movie. And then she is just 
she feels like obligated to all of a sudden become, oh, this is this is the new Ash. Yeah, and that's my and it felt it felt so forced. I'm not kidding. Like at the end when she said, "Come get some," I hadn't had that much of a reaction to a line in the horror movie since like, "Go get him, cause <laughs> Go get him. Yeah. Like I mean, I thought that that line, like it just was so reference based, and it was just it didn't feel right. It didn't feel like she would ever say that. Unless she's a big fan of that pizza, Henry well, this that's pizza. Not, that, that's like, the, that's the fail, right? right? Like yeah. earlier in the movie, there's a huge focus on the pizza and stuff like that. They could have made some references to that, like, oh, come get some, da 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 and worked it into the movie so that when it came back at the end, it was funny. Yeah. But they didn't do that at all. <laughs> so it's like, no, it's why? You, you had the opportunity to make it I your mean, own or make it a funny nod. You could have done something really crazy, too, which is like gone to the typewriter or the, the, the laptop and written a new fucking... <laughs> Uh, you know, catchphrase for someone to say. Like, it's not that hard. There's millions of, like, literally Duke Nukem took the goddamn script and ran with it in the early 90s and gave us, like, eight fucking different uh, catchphrases. Like, can't do that? Like, you know. I'm just tickled in this universe that somebody's <laughs> big catchphrase would be from a fast food place. Like, I just, I'm loving it. In, in a way, it makes sense because you're just in that moment and like that's the first thing that pops because you don't have a script writer. You know, you're going to say no. something kind of asinine. Uh, but I do have to add that Lily Sullivan, Stone Cold Fox. My goodness. Maron, Maron, as they My say in the My goodness. Lead. Anything else to add about Lily? I shouldn't even ask that because I'm moving on to the next category. <laughs> well, I, I do. I do want to mention the the ash of it all because obviously there was the whole you know to do about his cameo, and I feel like when I turned to you, Justin, when there was like audio of uh, the priests in the background or those who were there's the audio on the vinyl, the first side oh, where it's yeah. just like him talking about them wanting to do the translation and everyone kind of rebelling and being like, "No, you can't do this." I feel like one of those voices was absolutely. Oh, Bruce I didn't Campbell. know that he was going to be involved or have any appearance in this. There was supposed to be a secret cameo, and Lee Cronin's like, "I'll give you fifty bucks if you if you found it or whatever." I just read that up. And I feel like when the, my ears did per, perk up when those voices were were calling out on the the vinyl, mm-hmm. and it felt like that was Campbell. One, Campbell was one of the voices that was in the crowd. Yeah, maybe he was to be speaking out. There was um, there was that funny like ADR like you know the like uh, let her speak. Oh, yeah, yeah, well that's what I mean. That's, and was, I felt like that was, was Campbell. one in there that was like it's called the Book of the Dead for a yes. reason or something like that. That's the one. That is exactly <laughs> the one. And I that, felt yeah. like that was Campbell because I turned yeah. to you, Justin. And I was like, "Wait, is that it?" And I think you probably just thought I was like looking at you weird. I thought you were being like, "Is this movie over yet?" I was like, "Can I? <laughs> no, do you want some more Twizzlers?" Fair. That's not <laughs> fair. That's not fair. It was it was it was pretty fun that part. I mean, but I will say, man, not to get off track. God forbid. Man, there was like a lot of listening to that vinyl. Like I feel like in the. <laughs> The first four movies is just like a minute's worth of, of exposition, but this is like, here we are, it's night, we're all together to talk yeah, I about thought it was, metal. Uh, that was an interesting wrinkle, like making it a, a vinyl record in this foot. I, I thought that was pretty imaginative. I mean, when you think about it too, Vanderbilt, it was like that was before it was, it was hip to have vinyl instead of, you know, CD or iTunes, you know, 1923, 100 years earlier. It's pretty cool to have that vinyl. Looked like it I had artwork like, too. How did they press that? Who was pressing that? I vinyl? know it was <laughs> Sacred Bones. Did, they, did were they, the, they were in the they were in the they all went to the record store booth. You know, a lot of the, yeah. the they would have the booth in the record store where you could go uh, record the little forty uh, fives. I think like maybe I think Sam up. I think Sam Phillips actually may have recorded those records down in Sun Studios. Well, I know that um, Jack White is a big proponent, and he always <laughs> cites the. The, necro, the, the Book of the Dead vinyl, the three vinyls. You know, so he's a Michigan guy, so it makes sense. Yeah, he is. And he, you know, when he was an upholster, he used to put mm-hmm. his 45s 
in the in the furniture that he was upholstering. I've always wondered mm. how you would ever be able to find one of those. You'd have to rip up. You'd have to rip open your. You have to know that you did it there and then rip yeah. open the couch. Ask Gene Hackman in the conversation. He can tell you all about it. That's a <laughs> little niche reference for you. All right, we gotta move on. This will be interesting. I'm not sure how we're gonna even cover this. To be 100 percent honest with you, but let's let's go for it. This is a category called Within the Woods. Cheryl, what's the matter with you? Did something in the woods do this to you? No, it was the woods themselves. They're alive, Ash. So once again, the difference between the Evil Dead franchise and, you know, your Freddies, your Jasons, your Chuckies, your, your Ghostface Killers, is that basically everybody in this movie but maybe one person ends up becoming a bad guy. So <laughs> I think the best way to tackle this, I, I wanted to focus on the, the climax of the movie. Because this is a first in which all the surviving demons combine forces to become this one giant beast with like a beast with a million backs, basically, with (laughs) the arms and the multiple heads and everything else. And while I thought that was a pretty cool effect, Mac, you made a really, really good point about the logistics of it all. So what did you think about the the multi-headed, the combo demon, as I'm calling it? Well, yeah, I I said I like the idea that you know, the book would flip to a page and then that image would be the demon, that that particular demon or the way it was inhabiting a particular person, right? I was like, that's fun. But I also thought at the end, you had like, I don't know, nine deadites, capable deadites, and then they decided, let's all meld and form this one deadite that can barely move around the <laughs> room to get these people at the end. It was like, no, why don't you just have the nine, like, you know, separate deadites running and chasing after them? Like, why are you going to make it even harder for yourself to move around? Like, it, it's literally <laughs> having a hard time moving around in, you, I mean, in that's the right. basement. It's that's so right. silly. I mean, I like the idea, but I also thought, like, oh, if they're, like, they're, like, cl- you know, clawing at her and opening her stomach and all that stuff. And I thought maybe a, a demon was going to come out, but then, that, again, that would have been, like, demons, right? Demons. So, Mac, Mac, what you're not it, understanding is... That this was a commentary on globalism. Oh, <laughs> <God>. Finally, <laughs> we, we've done it. Jeffrey globalism has, has, has made its way into the Evil Dead franchise. I thought the monster was cool, but I think in a true-to-form, like, if this movie was made 20 years ago in, like, the heyday of the early 90s where everything was ripping off Evil Dead, and let's say this was not an Evil Dead movie, but an Evil Dead ripoff, we would have gotten, we would have been treated to, like, a minute-long segment of that thing forming. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's what's missing from it because I, when it showed up, I didn't get that that's what was happening, I guess. When it showed up, it's like, okay, that's pretty cool. But, like, yeah, if you're promising me a gore fest, like, show all the goo and grew kind of melding and connecting and, you know, the head growing out of the arm. And I just think that would have, it would have sold it a little bit better so that when it did show up, it would have been. Holy shit, that's what it looks like. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And then they kind it of just, <laughs> covered up in two months. I, I normally am a fan of shadows and covering up stuff, but no, put that on display, man. That's the that's the centerpiece of your movie now. Yeah. Rothman, do you think there maybe there was some at the end of the day, some limitations on how, how good it would have looked if you saw it too much of it? I think so. I mean, it's funny. I the night before I went to go see the thing on 35 in the music box and and Sammy mentioned at the end when we watched uh, Evil of the Rise, he's like, yeah, you know, 
what was with that thing at the end where it's like, you know, we kind of saw this already with John Carpenter's the thing. I was like, she kind of nailed that for me. I was like, yeah, like you go watch this movie from 1982 and they not have only just one. They have like three creatures in that movie that are that, that do this exact same thing. And they give you that sort of space and that look and that feel of what that creature is. And you can see what it's going to be capable of. And it's very terrifying. It's visceral. And then this one, it happens. And yeah, you're right. It's all in the shadows. It's all in the corners. It's kind of like, what is going on? Practically, it makes no sense. And it <laughs> might be what I consider the, the the Cairo swordsman of this franchise, because ultimately it comes in, it's this huge, big bad. And then I'm just going to throw you in the fucking thing and kill you immediately. Grinder, yeah. There's no threat to you whatsoever. Like, it, it really felt very, like, honestly, that's probably one of the reasons why I think the third act was struggling, because it's just so, like, piecemeal. Right, like it. Well, I heard, it, to be fair, that they reshot because they wanted to pay homage to the ending of Halloween Ends. Oh, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, two people uh, did die the night. We could have a list, Mike. Uh, top ten uses of wood chippers in horror pictures. Yeah. Well, Fargo. Yeah. Classic yeah. Mac. So that there's that creature which didn't really work for me. I uh, don't really know why I decided to make that change. Maybe if it was like chasing after them and then and then deadets were breaking off of it to yeah, like run after the other girl cool. or something. That would be cool. Yeah. No, they didn't do that. The only other like creature in the movie for within the woods essentially is is the demon at the end. That that is. So you have the the bit in the very beginning of the movie where it's just the drone, which is funny. But then you actually have the demon doing that and like the close up at the end of the girl and scaring the, you know, like mm-hmm. coming at the girl at the end. So I guess the demon is doing the same kind of constructive stuff. I like, don't even know. I don't know. I, I, didn't, I didn't think that was good. I was like, well, it takes away from the bit at the beginning. Like, oh, this isn't going to be like these other movies, but this is, but that was a funny bit. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I know and then what you they mean. do that at the end. So I was like, wait, what? <laughs> this would be a very curious rewatch down the line i'm sure i'll rewatch it probably even next year honestly if we do something for the for the pot again yeah but again i just felt so unaffected by everything going on i felt so down the line about everything Mm -hmm. you know i wasn't like outraged or in love with really anything that was going on speaking of let's move to our next category (laughs) which we talk about the cast of the film Jesus. In a section we call knights and deadites one by one we will take you Again, we're going to focus on the family here. If we want to talk about the other ancillary characters, we can discuss that, I guess, maybe in the kills section if you want to. But the main, the core four, as it were, aside from the, the sister character, is uh, Ellie, played by Alyssa Sutherland, Danny, played by Morgan Davies, Bridget, played by Gabriel Eccles, who looks exactly like Selena Gomez. Just distracting. <laughs> and then Cassie, played by the youngest of the, of the, of the kids, played by Nell Fisher. So, Mike, you kept talking about you felt like there was a character that had more of a presence to you than even the uh, the sister character of Beth had. Were you, were you talking about Alyssa Sutherland? Oh, absolutely. Ellie? Yeah, okay. I mean, this is her movie. Like, okay. I mean, she's all throughout the marketing and for a good reason. Like, this, like her performance and, you know, what she does as a dead A is the, probably the only reason why I return to this movie. Just because I think that, I, I don't know, I just thought her performance is visceral when it needed to be. I thought that... Her facial expressions and everything, just the contortion. I mean, I mean, it was just really well done, and in a way that could have just been 
you know, slightly forgettable. Like for for me, this was the this was the centerpiece of the movie, and I thought that everything she was doing, whether it was like you know talking into the eye hall, the the scene where she's making the eggs, the stuff with like the the ice bath where she's like losing her mind and then crawling onto the the ceiling and all of that stuff, I really liked. I liked that a lot, and I thought that she, you know she kind of gave it her all. And so like for me, if I would you know if if I was praising anyone in this movie, she's the MVP for me. Anything else, Mac, Mike, on Ellie? I didn't like a lot of the dialogue that they had the Deadites saying in this. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I, agree it felt that. like, and I, I think this might be a good place to talk about it, it felt like stuff that a 12-year-old trying to be creepy yes. would write. Uh, mm-hmm. yep. Like, yeah. it didn't have, like, I, I think the stuff from the original film is exceptionally creepy. And I think that also has to do with, I just think, like, monster movie makeup and white eyes are more creepy than anything that has happened in the remake or in this one. But yeah, the, the dialogue, I don't know if we need another pass or if we needed it at all, really. No, I agree, Mike. Uh, Sammy said that, like, when we were coming back, she <laughs> clearly Sammy was really critical on this. <laughs> she was like, she was like, what was it the, the stuff they were saying? It, it felt like very, it was very childish. Like, it wasn't like, you know, you even thinking about like what, like, uh, Tony Collette says in Hereditary to her right. children, right? Like, you needed that sort of level of depravity. And there's nothing there. Like, you know, even with just like the children, it's like, it's like, I should have aborted you or something like, like something like that damning. You don't get any of that, really. Because the like, movie is that nasty in the sense yeah. that it, it, truly no one is safe and anybody can die and they take those chances. So why they, I don't know if they play it safe or if maybe, maybe it's an Irish thing. I don't know. Maybe it's an Irish thing. That's something that's <laughs> truly missing though, is like using the idea that this is a family against the family, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like you're saying, Mike, it should have gone there. There should have been moments that we see where they're connecting originally, you know, like, Danny should have taken Stephanie and killed Cassie with it or killed someone with it and been like, you know, like this is because of you, like Stephanie's my, or, you know, using the things that they like are connecting on as brothers and sisters and, and, or my mother and then using it against them. And because nothing is more terrifying than in the, in, in the original evil dead, when Cheryl's just walking towards Ashes saying, it's your sister, Cheryl, you know, it's, it's just, and it's so off putting and just, just creepy. And like the, there just wasn't, I just didn't feel that in this at all. And I think that also it's a big knock to the way the deadites sound in this. They literally just like dropping them in octaves. They sound kind of like a, like a guy or something. I don't know. I just, it, I didn't like that. I did. It didn't sound scary. And like, if you're going to change the way the deadites sound, make it really scary and not just kind of like, Oh, they, they just sound like themselves, but just like lower voices. I don't know. I didn't like that. I think it comes down to this all st- the foul mouth, the truly foul mouth, unhinged, unedited child would be Reagan and the exorcist, which is 50 yeah. years ago. Of course, the exorcist, the new version coming soon from David Gordon green later this year. But so I think like how shocking that must've been 50 years ago to hear that, those words coming out of, of that child's mouth. And now, you know, with obviously the, the, the glut of horror movies since then with possessions, specifically the evil dead franchise. And this kind of goes back to how I was more or less unaffected by a lot of the violence and gore in this movie. And I felt the same way about the dialogue. It's just, I felt like what else can these people truly say that will really shock me? And I, didn't really feel that as cruel as the mother was being to the, her, her kids and even her sister. I was just not, 
I wasn't disturbed at all by the behavior. And I felt like when you're talking about the fact that this is not just a bunch of friends in a cabin turning on each other, you know, this is family. You know, you get that special bond biologically, allegedly, that <laughs> you feel like there should be a greater impact. But I was just kind of unmoored by the whole thing. Vanderbilt, sorry, well, did you want to say that? No, I was going to add, like, I think part of what would make that work better, even with some of the dialogue that I didn't like is, and it goes back, I'm glad you mentioned The Exorcist, because Exorcist and Evil Dead kind of do the same thing, where as you're watching those movies and the demons are saying these things, it's not even just what they're saying, it's that they just won't stop, right? Mm-hmm. And you need to be you need to overwhelm the audience with that, where the audience is kind of sitting there saying, just please make it stop. Yeah, and yeah. maybe that's something that could be done with the soundscape, or so. And I, that's just something that affects me personally. I think, and would have made uh, this a little bit more. I mean, I wasn't. I never scared of the Evil Dead movies. That's for sure. Mac, uh, to bring it back to Alyssa Sutherland, though, you know, I, I thought she did like a pretty good job as did. I, I just didn't. I didn't like the voice, but you know, I, I thought there were some moments where it was pretty unnerving, like stuff, but. Again, like you said, Justin, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah I thought they were like, all right. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if I feel like I need to see it again to really get into the nitty gritty of it. But I didn't think anybody was like awful in the movie. No, by no, by no means. I didn't by, think by no means. I thought they all did like a pretty good job. It's just I didn't like the route that they took the, the possessions in this. Mm-hmm. Would you guys have liked it better if they had the classic white eyes? Well, you do get that for one minute right. with Danny uh, mm-hmm. in the hallway. And I was, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's actually kind of scary looking." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, why didn't they just do that for everybody?" Like, I I, I think there's something weird when you just have contacts in. It's just the, not the as problem with the movie. Ultimately, is I just don't think it looks good. It doesn't look here. Dave Garbett was a cinematographer for this movie. Here's what he's done the last couple of years: a movie called Falling in Love, in spelled I N N. Gary of the Pacific, everything we loved, that's it. Like I, I maybe he did some short film or something I missed, but say what you will about other Fede Alvarez movies, but I mean, Evil Dead and Don't Breathe are like stylish. Even great. his Girl in the Dragon Tattoo version, the movie's a mess, but yeah. there's at least like a sense of style to it. Obviously, that's what Sam Raimi's known for is his style. This just felt kind of formless. And kind of just, there's no real, as manic as it would become, there didn't feel to be a lot of energy being pumped into the movie. Rothman, everything has that teal and orange kind of vibe, that ultra saturated look that has infected films for the past 10, maybe even 20 years. Yeah. I didn't feel, I didn't feel present watching it. I felt like I was watching a movie, you know? And I think that's obviously horror movies have to make you feel like you're in it for it to work. And I never really felt like I was in it, especially the evil dead, especially the original especially. one where it has yeah. that documentary kind of feel simply because it was cheap. Mm-hmm. I mean, what did I say about the remake? I said, it's, you know, I, I rewatch movies all the time and that's one film I don't like rewatching. Cause there's just something. It's, it's icky. You know, yeah. you watch that movie and you're like, fuck, this is miserable. And that's a, that's kind of what I want to feel. And that's, I mean, if you're going to go, I think honestly, one of the problems is is that this film is caught between you know it's stuck between two stations. To bring back a hold steady reference, uh, if we're going to reference our past uh, episode, 
and honestly, like that's that's probably the problem is that it's not visceral enough and it's not funny enough. So it's just there, and yeah. you know, you sh- you need to lean one way or the other. And I honestly would have preferred it leaning a little bit more on the funny end. I mean, I know it's so hard to make a comedy these days, but you know, maybe try. But in <laughs> like, that sense, right, you find someone that's really good at doing comedies. Yeah, because yeah. like Sam Raimi, right? He always wanted to do comedies, and that's that's the only reason why Evil Dead Two weirdly ends up working on both spectrums. Because mm-hmm. he just fell into, oh, I'm actually really good at creating effective scares because of comedic timing, mm-hmm. and then that it just Evil Dead Two is a, is just singular. Like that movie is so weird that it works on both levels. Like there are some genuinely scary moments in that movie, and there's also just like really laugh out loud moments in the movie. And it all kind of goes together. together. It's just really difficult task to give anyone. But if you're going to do that, make sure the director is like extremely competent in in comedy. Or or having an editor that's extremely competent in comedy. You know what I mean? Well, that's the thing is that Hole in the Ground also, Mike, I'm sure you'll echo this sentiment. But I didn't, I wasn't really, I guess I was kind of maybe a little creeped out in the beginning by what was going on. But I wasn't, I was never scared for a second. In the movie, I didn't know, right? I just so I don't. Again, I don't. I don't understand the exact reason for hiring Mr. Cronin. He seems like a really nice guy in interviews and in introduction. Seems like a sweet guy, but I don't understand why this was the guy. Unless they felt maybe he was easier to manage. I don't want to put words in anybody's mouths or assume anybody's reasonings or actions. But hey, I don't know. Well, I likened the idea, and I can't remember what episode, but I likened the idea of the Evil Dead franchise being like a a school or a university now for horror filmmakers, because obviously Fetty Alvarez was, who was his debut. Um, and it put, you know, Sam Raimi on the scene. And if that's the case here, then uh, let's just say this is a failed scholar. <laughs> like yeah. didn't, didn't, didn't work uh, because yeah. I mean, even with the, the, the hole in the ground, like that movie's cop is stuck between two stations too. Cause it's like, it wants to be a drama and yet it also wants to be a horror film as well. And it's one of my least favorite things in that it, it's like kind of a metaphor, but it's not like, it's just, it, that and that's that, that's a problem. Like, if you can't get a director that can nail the tone, like, then he shouldn't be doing an Evil Dead movie because, like, tone is the, the most important facet of these of these movies. Like, mm-hmm. and that's one thing that that Fetty Alvarez got like really great. Then is that like, if he's gonna go for the jugular, he's gonna fucking go for the jugular. And like that idea of like, oh, I don't want to watch this anymore, or I can't believe what I'm seeing, or uh, wow, they really went there. He does. He does that across the fucking movie, and he does it again in his later movies. Like, Don't Breathe does that again. Like, yeah. I remember, I remember when we all went to go see it at the ArcLight. Like, I was like, like my heart was pounding throughout that whole fucking film, and that's a mark of a filmmaker that knows the tone and knows how to make the type of genre he's going out to make. And he, this is a guy that's owned to now. So that's a good movie too. I really, I don't. I, again, you guys are higher on the remake, but I really liked Don't Breathe. Don't Breathe is great. Yeah. One of my favorite memories of Don't Breathe is a certain writer who we've discussed but never mentioned on this show wrote a scathing review of it, whining about the uh, the the intent of the villain and calling yeah. him uh, uh, blind or uh, what is it, rapist Zaitachi, and. It was absolutely ridiculous how upset he was about that movie. Well, people get really upset. You know, these days, it's very tense out there. What can I tell you? Speaking of intensity, the trio of kids, Danny, Bridget, Cassie, again played by Davies, Eccles, Fisher, respectively. Folks, I sound like a broken vinyl, like one of those three vinyls when I say, these kids were pretty good. 
<laughs> right down the line. Uh, I think the, the, the one that stood out the most was probably the Bridget character, right? Because that was the one who really had a lot of, well, presence, I guess, becoming possessed. And I realized at that point that the movie was going to go there in terms of it not just being survival horror for the kids running away from their mom, but having the kids become antagonists and demons and deadites as well. Uh, so what did you think about uh, Bridget Mac? When you first saw her in that kitchen scene standing standing on the countertop, how'd you feel yeah, about that sequence? I I I, I like that. I I just didn't like the voices. <laughs> I'm yeah. just throw that out there again. I did like some of the, the portrayals and the things that they were doing, uh, the eating the glass I thought was really effective. Something I was missing though is like as each one of the kids became a dead, I, I kind of wanted them to start working together more. I wanted like, cause like, you know, Hey, they had that in the original evil dead. Like you have like the one that I like, like going to free Cheryl from the basement. Like I was waiting for Bridget to just go to the door and unlock the door. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like let her in. Like I, I, I that, that was that kind of stuff where I was like, cause then they could have really played with the family dynamic of like, Oh, now mommy has another child, has a child again. And now has another child. And it's like collecting the children. Mm-hmm. To be this weird evil dead family, like that was a whole that's a whole thing they just didn't even pretend to do. I didn't like that, but I did like uh, I did think Bridget was good, and I didn't want. I will say I liked the family dynamic in the beginning. I thought they did a good job of making you kind of like this family, and they were like pretty well adjusted, regardless of the situation with the father. Like they seemed to have a solid relationship with each other, so I didn't want any of them to to die. And, but that's why those turns were, were effective in the film. Like I was like, Oh wow, they're really going to go there. They're going to like, no one's safe. Right. Mm -hmm. But they didn't lean into that, uh, that aspect enough again. So that was just kind of a bummer. Yeah. Vanderbilt, you know, Mac, there's that line in there. Uh, what is, what is, uh, Beth tell him don't work against each other or work together. There's a line in there that suggests that, and that would be a funny turnaround instead of them working together to defeat the deadites, then they're working together against death against her. Yeah. And that goes back to like that whole, like, I don't want to even say third act. That second half needs more of that manic energy where there's just shit happening in every room of that apartment. Cause that would have undercut the fact that they don't travel throughout the building. Right. If you just had so much wild shit happening in that one little apartment in a hallway. Mm-hmm. And you just had a different dead eye in every room, like trying to get to someone or yeah. get inside or so. I don't know. <laughs> and I, but I like the cast and I like the kids and I like the family dynamic. I like that, you know, without being treacly or like preachy about it, they kind of, you know, say that this is a new American family and they would, of course they'd be in Los Angeles and, you know, mom's a tattoo artist. So of course, you know, the, the, the daughter's kind of a radical and the, the kid wants to be a musician, but he's not a guitar player. He's a DJ because that's, the era we live in, but the little girl's still the little girl. Yeah. Cause she yeah. hasn't figured all that out yet. She hasn't figured, but she's probably going to, well, she's the only one who survived. She'll be like her older brother or older sister, you know, she'll be perfectly fine. She'll be well adjusted. <laughs> Rothman, any, any of the three kids stand out to you? I know you mentioned the, you mentioned Cassie's, what was it called? That the, the, the name of that stick was pretty clever. It wasn't called a boomstick. Oh, Stephanie. Yeah. Stephanie. I thought that was yeah, pretty funny. Yeah, Cassie's a standout for me. I thought she was fun. I mean, little kids usually, I mean, 
I don't really like kids anyway, and I, I don't relate to the the whole pull of uh, maternal <laughs> paternal uh, instincts because I just don't want children. But you know, I thought Cassie was pretty cool, and I really did. Not to bring up Sammy again, she she was like, "Why didn't Cassie have the? It would have been different at least a left hook if if Cassie would have like picked up the chainsaw and, and killed her mother." And I was like, "Yeah, I agree. Like that would have at least been different as opposed to the same old, same old." And I thought that Cassie had gone through the ringer a little bit more than most of the characters, at least emotionally, just to watch her whole entire family. So to be the one that actually like you know, uses the chainsaw to do it. it would have been really fun. I mean, I don't know how they, it also would have added a little bit to the zaniness of it, which this movie needed. And I think she would have been up, to, been up for it because I, I just, I don't know. She was a really strong little kid character performance. I, I thought it was awesome. So, yeah. but also uh, I thought it was, it was neat that I was, I was watching the, the press circuit and uh, Gabriel Eccles uh, said it was cool work with Elisa Sutherland on Evil Dead Rise. So we could add that to the trivia if we wanted to. Wow, yeah. sounds pretty cool. Sounds a lot like yeah. in Fundamentals of Caring when in the trivia section somebody wrote Paul Rudd said it was cool work with Selena Gomez. Yeah. So yeah. cool <laughs> trivia. Yeah. Everybody should check out that, that out and give it a thumbs up. Oh, you know, I wanted to say I got a picture of Lee Cronin when he had a like a, a hat on. It was like, I'm assuming it was like the crew hat. And it, it was the Evil Dead Rise logo, and it had something on it. And I was like, what the hell is this? And I could not figure it out forever in the beginning. But it is Stephanie. Oh, that's cool. If you see, it's Stephanie oh, like, that's really coming cool. up through the... And I was like, oh, that's cool. And so I, I wanted that to kind of be like the new Kandarian dagger kind of thing, like used in that way. Mm. And they kind of do use it in yeah. that way in the movie. Like I can see, like, all I can see is like the next movie is like, you know, Cassie has like... Stephanie, but it's like sharpened to like a, a knife, you know, <laughs> like, like they're just roaming around, uh, you know? Yeah. You know, and I, I liked Danny too. I wish they played more on like the, the, when Danny was like, I'm responsible for this. I wish they played more for that. Like where, mm. you know, Bridget or, or Cassie or whoever like turn. And then they're like, you are responsible. Like you've killed me, you know, like, and really like, I just wish they went there and really used their fears against them and that kind of stuff. And, and really got dirty. And it just, didn't didn't go that because far. that's what the deadites do. That's what the deadites do yes. in, in every movie. That if there's one constant in the lore of the Evil Dead of the deadites, that is what they do. They use your fears against you in the worst possible the guilt way. and the self doubt. They try to build that up in you, whoever they're battling against. Right. And on the subject of Stephanie, I got to say that was one of the best setup and making good on the setup in a horror movie yeah. I'd seen. Yeah, that was because really when I saw it, I says, oh, this is going to happen. Like someone's going to get hurt. <laughs> Maybe that's just me being older. Not that I'm a parent or anything. <laughs> I mean, oh, someone's going to get hurt by that thing with that sharp end on it. And then they did. Well, I mean, in that regard, you know what they say? I mean, life is hard and dangerous. And sometimes you just got to chop off somebody's head to survive. We are eating a giant shit sandwich right now. Are you good down here for a minute? While I try and unfuck the situation. I got it. Go. All right. So this is going to be our, our favorite kill of the motion picture, Evil Dead Rise. I'm going to cheat a little bit. And for me, it was the, the peephole sequence. Mm-hmm. All in one shot. Just some of it's off camera. But just seeing the, that, that kid's body get flung across the room and some of the stuff that you see right in front of that peephole, I thought that was the most stylish, maybe the stylish part of this entire movie. I wish we had a little bit more in that. Now, I'm not saying the entire movie should have been shot through a peephole. <laughs> I wish there was something as inspired as that sequence, which I don't really think you get uh, throughout the rest of the film. What about you, uh, Rothman? Same. That's it. <laughs> yeah, That's mine. It's a pretty yeah. cool sequence. It's no. pretty good. No, it's, it's, pretty it's, cool. good. it's effective. It's effective. 
Mac, what do you think? What's your favorite uh, kill or most violent scene, I guess you could say, or most effective scene? Yeah, no, I, I, they, I mean, I cited that earlier. I did really love that sequence. I, I thought this was, okay, this is what we're going to get. You know, like this is the kind of movie this is going to be. And it, then it just didn't, couldn't walk the line. But uh, I, I was really trying to think of other things. I did really like what we just talked about, Stephanie through the head. I thought that was really visceral and cool, but it wasn't really a kill, right? Because mm-hmm. they're not really dead. But I did really like that. I thought, oh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I think I, I made a sound like in the theater, which, and that's always fun. Uh, so I, I, I liked the Stephanie bit. Yeah. What about you, Vanderbilt? What was your favorite? Also not a kill, but one of the most memorable moments for me that I really dug was when the daughter turns in, well, after they thought they had killed her and she's wearing the sheet. Oh, like yeah, a ghost. Cool. Yeah, that yeah, was cool. Yeah, that was cool. Because uh, you know, it, it's just kind of playing on it. You know, stupid costume of just a sheet over your head, but it was creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and like it leads to too. a pretty good segment. If it's not, it's kind of uninspired. Like the whole thing on the stove. It's nothing I haven't seen before. And then lights are on fire with the aerosol can. I would have liked to have seen something again. Everything in this movie. It should have just been turned on its head a little bit more. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like that comes from, I think that's something that, why the Evil Dead, another reason why the Evil Dead movies work so well is that when it's Sam and Ivan Raimi working together, I, I, I sense that brothers trying to top each other. What if it did this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what if it did this? Well, you know, Vanderbilt, on that point, maybe that's why this movie didn't quite work for me, because even the Fede Alvarez version, there's violence... But this movie felt like as violent, as gory as it could get, it still felt reserved. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like it was trying yeah. to go to that next level. I feel like there was always, like you said, another, another like, like hat on the hat on the hat usually does not work when it comes to fictionalized storytelling. But I think Evil Dead's the exception. I think that the more outrageous it gets and the more improbable it gets, the more it works. I think it's the yeah, exception about, to the rule. Like, what if this was the thing? Like, what if Bridget was eating the glass. And then what if the glass like really just kept cutting the throat and that, yeah. that maggots and stuff kept falling out? What if they just continued to eat yeah, of- things the rest of the movie and they, they just were just destroyed? That's, not, that, that's something that I didn't really love. I didn't think that the deadites became deadites enough. Like they didn't get increasingly more weird. You know, I, I always think of what's his name from part two and he pops up and, it, and he's like, Ooh, you know, and he's oh, got yeah. that really distorted <laughs> face. Draw. Like they just look too human for the most part. Like they didn't really change. And I guess you could say they changed into the giant creature at the end, which I thought was a fail, but I wanted them to change, to change more. And then something I have to talk about that, that people seen when the little girl goes up to the, to the people. There was a tweet I read where someone was knocking that sequence saying, why the hell would a little girl see her mom like that and hear her and all of a sudden after everything that's happened so far, let let her mom in the door. And then Lee Cronin res- responded saying, maybe you, just, maybe you should see the movie first before you make up your mind and da 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 So I was waiting for there to be a big twist there. And there's no twist. That little girl <laughs> just unlocks the door thinking she's better now. And she's absolutely not better. And in a film franchise that's already set up, Deadites, where they can just turn back to their normal selves and try to trick you, why wouldn't you just do that? <laughs> then I would believe that a little girl would let her mom in if she looked fine again. I, and she was I'm, like, hey, let me in. I'm a little more forgiving of that scene, though, because I can only imagine if I was 
five or six, I just don't think it would register what's truly, truly happening. I, I would be like, right. that's still my mom, and I, I'm going to let her back in. Oh, I don't if know, it was like the, the older kids, sequence? it would have been more concerning. But the fact that it was a six-year-old, I was a little more forgiving of that, I'll say. I, I'll I, I, yeah. I wanted to talk about the elevator sequence, because I think that is a memorable moment in this movie. With all filling up with the blood, I think that. Well, was... you gotta pause on that, Mike, because we can talk about that in our next section. Now it's a special effects section, mm. and of course, we have this. It's it's almost it's not even fun anymore. You know, mm. what I mean, when we we say like uh, we're gonna change the name of it to something else because we kept going, doing the great graphics bit, but we are because it's no longer funny. It's like it's the half and the half thing, which usually does not work. So uh, we're actually gonna call the special effects section for this entry for Evil Dead Rise uh, great graphics. <laughs> What do you know? The beat my eyes score. <laughs> We've been on with the transitions this episode. Just hey, I'm, it's I'm good. Tra- the, the, the motor this baby along here. Uh, so you, go ahead. You talk about how, what you liked about that sequence, Vanderbilt, and then, and then I'm going to give a little history about the special effects department in, in charge of this movie. Well, what I dug about it is like, so I was thinking about, we kind of talked about uh, in this movie that maybe some of the problem was budget cuts, right? Mm, maybe. Or something. But... The Evil Dead 2, a low-budget movie, has a cabin get destroyed by a vortex that sends Ash back to the Middle Ages, and they had <laughs> little to no money. So That's then right. I'm like, why isn't why didn't that apartment get ripped apart? Why wasn't there more of that? Is it just a lack of imagination on the filmmaker's part? But a part where I did see some imagination and some of that old school, like Evil Dead, let let's top ourselves is the scene in the elevator because I like that because it's the shining in reverse, right? Like instead of all the blood coming out of you, you're seeing the these people trapped in the elevator, and it almost turns into an underwater horror movie, right? We've seen mm-hmm. this happen. We've seen it happen in a million movies. The drowning pool with. Maybe it is a reference in a drowning pool featuring Paul Newman, also streaming on HBO Max. And oh, he, he does get caught in an elevator filled with blood. <laughs> it, it, he's in a room full of water, and it's, it's it's the same kind of concept. And I just thought that was creative, and it was an imagine it was imaginative, and uh, it kind of has a good punchline that they just kind of get it opens up much like The Shining, and then they just come out and they're covered in blood for the rest of the movie. I dug it. Re- referring to the elevator specifically is I do like the fact that this was its version of the tree vines sequences from earlier entries, where instead of the tree vines in the, in the forest, now you've got elevator cables in the elevator. The stairwell being destroyed was much like the bridges being right. destroyed in earlier Evil Dead entries. I like that a lot. Mm. But let me get into the effects here real quick and who's responsible. So it's Odd Studio, and this is straight from their website. Odd Studio is an Oscar, BAFTA, and multi-award winning company at the forefront of prosthetic makeup creature effects, animatronic characters, special effects, props, and models. Both partners have had over 20 years of industry experience on a diverse range of projects helping realize and give life to ideas and creative visions. Their dedication to the art, practical approach, and extended family of talented crew continue to keep the company in high demand for in-camera effects. Keep that in mind. Two directors of Odd Studio are Adam Johansson and Damian Martin. Each director brings their own unique experience and specialized skills that have seen them head departments on many major productions. This amalgamation of specialized talent provides the company with the diversity and the means required to consistently deliver a high-quality product. Odd Studio will take an idea and make it a reality. Working closely with the client to take a concept or character from the pages um, through all stages of design and visualization, 
excuse me, in the form of drawings, maquettes, Photoshop, or ZBrush designs. Their broad knowledge of the craft allows them to explore options and arrive at the best solution practically, aesthetically, and the point that we made a little bit earlier, economically. A couple major productions that they've been involved with over the last 20 years, Mad Max Fury Road and the upcoming Furiosa, uh, Thor, Love and Thunder, and Shang-Chi, The Invisible Man, the Farscape TV series, all four seasons of that show. The initial Matrix sequels, Reloaded and... What's the set? Reloaded and Revolutions? What's it called? I think it is Sorry. Revolutions. Well, I can't remember. Or something. Episodes 2 and 3 of Star Wars, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. And their first movie? Another George Miller movie called Babe, Pig in the City. <laughs> oh. Very good movie. And I say that unironically. Check it out. So... We talked about this from the top. I thought the special effects, especially the in-camera stuff, was actually quite effective. It wasn't egregiously CGI. You know, I mean, there was some CGI throughout it, but I thought the effects were pretty, were pretty effective. Uh, effects effective. That makes total sense, right, Mac? What did you think about them overall? Yeah, if there was ever a moment where I, where I thought that was clearly CG, the next shot was physical or something. Like, you mm-hmm. know, what I mean, there was a good blending of it. And I thought, like, you know, they were, they needed to. I mean, that's what you have to do, right? You know, if you blend the two mediums, it's, it works. And yeah, that was the least of my troubles with the film was I didn't think the effects or the gore uh, did not work. I, th- I think that they did a pretty good job with that. Yeah. Yeah. Rothman, where did you end up landing on the, on the use of special effects in this one? You're all right. I mean, I, they, 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 <laughs> like nothing really comes to mind. I, I, and that's, I guess, an issue, right? You know, we, mm-hmm. we just did our 10 best effects for the the franchise last week you know and there was some reservation on my end of like well should we wait for this movie and um unlike the losers club where we should have waited for the welcome to daria news to drop i don't think that we didn't see that coming though, we didn't fair. see that coming to be fair but i it, where i was like ah, i wish we would have waited 24 hours like i really don't care if we waited this long i mean there's nothing here i would have put in my top 10 effects like i just wouldn't like yeah you true. know whereas like with 2013 we you know we did put the the mia you know ripping her arm off and even with the tongue stuff, that's two out of the new movie. Like, yeah. I, I just can't think of anything here that I would have legit pushed. Like, I mean, Mac, you mentioned like her swallowing the glass and like the glass cutting out and the maggots. Like, fuck yeah, that would have been awesome. Like, that would have been a really cool effect. And if you could have pulled that off practically, I don't know how you do that practically, but if you could, you know, fuck, they had like Norris's head rip off in the thing in 1982. You could figure that out like now. So, like, yeah. if you could have done something cool like that that made me go, wow. Yeah, I'd be sitting, I'd probably be a little bit more excited about this movie. I mean, and then and it's weird because I and I keep bringing up the thing because I literally watched the thing on the big screen twenty four hours before watching this, and just sitting there in this packed audience in the music box, this movie that's over forty years old with arguably effects that should be dated, and yet I am sitting there with my jaw dropped at looking at some of the stuff in me like this is some of the best stuff I've ever seen on screen, and here we are in twenty twenty three. We have literally every resource available to us and not one moment like could even come close to that sort of feeling like that's a problem. Like and in, and in a yeah. franchise where it's built on that. So, um, yeah, it's an issue <laughs> to say the least. Any, any other thoughts though on the CGI overall? The effects are perfectly fine, but unimaginative mm-hmm. and uninspired. And I think that's a key part of what makes the Evil Dead films the Evil Dead films. And I can think of no better segue to our final thoughts than that. And let's uh, 
Get out of this elevator lobby and head to the car. What car is it? The Delta. What the hell was that? Are you trying to kill us? Hey, don't blame me. It's your steering wheel. Damn thing jerked right out of my hand. You understand that I had this thing in for a tune-up yesterday, and they said they'd go over everything. Yeah, well, you better take it back, because the damn thing don't work. The only thing that does work is this lousy horn. I'll kick this off. You know, if you had given me the one-page summary of this movie and everything that happens from, from A to Z, and even out of alphabetical order with the prologue and epilogue, however you want to look at those, I would have thought, oh, wow, this sounds like they're really going for it with this movie. But I don't think it ever really goes beyond the initial premise or what was on the page. I didn't feel anything really watching this movie. Now, I admit it could very well be because... Not only have I been watching these movies in the TV show for, you know, 30 plus years, we also watched all the movies and all those episodes of that TV show, you know, last year. So it's, it's, it's very possible that I was just kind of, I, I, I felt a little bit emotionless about it all, very down the line about it all because of that. Or maybe it just didn't work. And, and like I said, I'm going to be very curious to see what either passive fans of Evil Dead uh, this next generation that is being alluded to, how they're going to feel about it, and how it's going to really play in a a general movie house. I really sound like I'm 85 years old when I say that. I'm very, very curious to see what the future of this franchise holds, and I, I, I think I, at the end of the day, especially after, I'm happy I watched The Hole in the Ground because I just feel like when you got Sam Raimi and, and Fede Alvarez, who, by the way, is doing just fine. He's doing an alien movie coming up next. Yeah in terms of being a visualist, I, I don't know what they saw in Lee Cronin or a Evil Dead movie. I understood the emotional beats, why they would hire him. But it does mean that those emotional beats were entirely successful. So I, I feel like I've been going so back and forth throughout this entire episode. And, you know, as somebody who used, whose fingers used to work when he was a writer, and I know that a few of you on this podcast can understand this, there was nothing more difficult than to write a review about an okay or subpar album or movie because you weren't passionate. There was no passion about it either way. You didn't think it was awful. Like we know we can go on and on about like Halloween kills uh, Vanderbilt excluded, or you know, we can talk for five <laughs> hours about the first evil dead movie. Cause we love evil dead, but this was just a lot of that was pretty good or that didn't work for me. So at the end of the day, I'm going to have to give this a generous two and a half out of five, Chainsaws. I think we'll, we'll go with that. Vanderbilt, please go ahead. The Evil Dead is always going to be Ramey and Campbell to me and to a certain generation of film lovers. But in a world where IP is king, hail to the king, the franchise is going to live on arguably long after I'm with the maggots. Evil Dead Rise <laughs> does deliver some, imag- some imaginative gore and uh, effects, but the second half is missing that manic energy of the second film, which is what this one really calls for. Too many drawn-out shots of people walking into rooms and reacting instead of interacting. This needed a Dino De Laurentiis type to say, no, 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 80 minutes, stop wasting time. Thankfully, the Aliens-inspired climax does turn it up a notch and deliver a memorable monster. 
the prologue and epilogue are useless, and I'm always baffled by what elements filmmakers choose to retain and what they choose to re- reimagine. I'd rather see the original Book of the Dead pages, the white eyes, the monster movie makeup. Uh, and reassessing that original film, one of the things that I was struck with was how little backstory the characters were given, arguably less than your average Friday the 13th film, simply kids in a cabin. So I, I don't think Evil Dead series needs heavier themes. And while I like the Mother's Issue stuff over the drug addict stuff in the remake, it all feels unnecessary. But the cool stuff outweighs the the disappointing stuff. And, and if this wasn't an Evil Dead movie, I'd rate it higher. But the rub with IP is that honest-to-God historians and critics will always compare the new entries to the original, and they should. It's got the gore, it's got some dark comedy, and it certainly doesn't play it safe when off in characters. So overall, this is pretty good. Relatively nasty horror picture that delivers most of the goods. Good date movie. More enjoyable than a remake. Three out of five chainsaws. All right. Uh, McKinsey. Two and a half chainsaws. No, I'm definitely going to talk a little bit about it. I, I, you know, I mean, we've said all we need to say. I, I think Lee Cronin set out to appease fans and be this this next generation evil dead i'm not part of that generation so i can't be i can't get on board with that and the appeasing fans was simply you know nodding to things that just reminded me of superior films so that was mm-hmm. it just it didn't do enough for me i wanted and, and they they kept touting the amount of blood they used in the film and it was really just to fill up that elevator i wish that blood was all over the movie and it's not its focus was off Again, it's not awful, but it's not great. It, it was generally entertaining. It, it is really hard to to to, to cover something like this again. I, I, that's why I landed on two and a half. I just think, you know, will I watch it again? And, and I'm not even a huge, huge, huge fan of the remake, but man, I'm so excited to rewatch that movie now after seeing this because maybe I'll have a whole new respect for it and a whole new take, which is fun. So I guess I'm pulling that from it. <laughs> Rothman, uh, the keys to the Delta are yours. <laughs> well, I was probably the highest on the remake out of everyone here. I mean, the, hmm. the remake is probably like my third favorite of this franchise, uh, which says a lot. You know, I was thinking about the line I said. I mentioned the Ramones earlier and how I comped uh, Evil Dead to the Ramones and Halloween Nirvana and just and go back to that episode and listen to it. But what I was trying to get at with Ramones is that like when you listen to the Ramones, you can say, all right, I want to pick up a guitar and do this myself. And so hmm. in that respect... I look at Evil Dead Rise as kind of like, I don't know, the um, the We're a Happy Family tribute that came out in 2003. <laughs> it's like, you know, oh, that's cool. I could hear like Green Day and, and Kiss and, and Red Hot Chili Peppers do all these hits that we that I'm familiar with. And I'll listen to it once and, and then I'll hear their take and that's that. I'll go back to the original albums and that's kind of how I feel about this movie. It's like, well, they, he, did the, he, did the, he did an Evil Dead movie, but it's a lot of the beats that I've heard before. And I kind of like them the way they're saying and performed originally. So that's kind of my piece of it. So I'm giving two. Two out of the five chainsaws. Yeah. All right. That comes to an average of two and a half out of five chainsaws. So be very curious to see how this stacks up. I'm sure we'll watch it next year for a, a, a watch along. I'm assuming we'll be on HBO Max, maybe even called Max by the time it comes around next year, which definitely won't be confusing for people who have Cinemax. But they're doing a great job over there at HBO and Warner Brothers, so we wish them all the best. And first of all, thanks again to, to May Schultz for editing this episode. And May, actually, this is the first time she was able to see 
one of these movies with us. So hopefully in the future we can keep getting her in. We appreciate it as always. And next month, what's the only place worse than the demon infested apartment building? How about a military academy? Because we are <laughs> checking back in with Chucky. Wait, we're still doing it? Believe yeah. it or not, oh, yeah, the rest yeah, of the baby. year is going to be all Chucky, as a matter of fact. So here we're ramping back up. Chucky's been locked away in his little good guy box for a while, but he's, he's ready to play again. Our Child's Play 3 episode will be coming in May. I'm looking forward to that one. And again, we'll be continuing on with the nefarious little scamp for the rest of the year. Uh, Vanderbilt Rothman, uh, well, Rothman, you go first. What else do we have going on on the old Halloweenies feed, though? Well, it's a long way to New Delhi, and that's certainly the case for us because we're going to be back with another installment of Fortune and Glory, our Indiana Jones spinoff podcast. So we got Temple of Doom this month. Max going to have us getting on the horseback uh, or horses <laughs> for Last Crusade in in, uh, in May. And then uh, we're going to be riding off to, you know, Dala Destiny in June. Of course, we're going to have to visit some aliens before that. But uh, so we're going to be in Indiana Jones land in addition to Chucky. So that's exciting. I'm certainly I'm just all in indie. I'm in indie mode right now. I mean, aren't you, Mac, at this point? I feel like that's all I can think about. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm knee deep entrenched in Temple of Doom research right now. And uh, just really excited to get on uh Get on that uh, that minecart. Yeah, and if you haven't already joined us, uh, you should definitely go to patreon.com slash Pod. We have two episodes dedicated on Raiders of the Lost Ark. And they equate to like five hours worth of content. I don't know how hmm. long a temple is going to go, but... It will not be five hours. It's not going to be five hours, and, but it will be dedicated. <laughs> I will say that. So yeah. exciting times around here. You, you, you get the, the, the doll... Um, or yet another doll. Actually, there is a killer doll in Temple of Doom. So and how about that? New Dolly. Ooh, new Dolly. New Dolly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, before we betray Sheba around here, uh, we do want to thank everybody for this extended journey in the Evil Dead universe that is now wrapped up after, I guess, what, 15, 16 months? But it was still a journey. I'm happy that we all took together. And what can I say? I'm happy that all of you out there decided to join us. Join us. Join This is the end of our show, for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.